This is going to be interesting. I think it'll be exciting. I'm very excited to be and back home. Yay. Hooray. Mm. All right, let's do this thing. All right. Ready? I am. Okay, let's do it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 48 of the Goulet Pencast, where fountain pens are still a thing. I am Brian Goulet. And I am Drew Brown. Yes, you are, as always. And we are not both here from Goulet Pens. I mean, maybe in spirit. Drew is there from our normal Pencast studio. And I am at home because we're back in high transmission in our county in Virginia. Yay, COVID. Not really. Kind of sucks. I had to scramble a little bit to get my setup here at home. So if it seems a little weird, a little jankety, then um, know that it is. Drew and I are recording 40 minutes later than planned because Brian could not get his act together. I've already, anyway. finished, I've already <laughs> finished coffee number one, so. <laughs> yeah, that's right. This is all I have. I went iced coffee because it's 94 degrees today and that I'm doesn't already, stop me. already sweating at the beginning of this. Never a good thing. Um, anyway, to continue with the intro, we're here to deliver this casual and informal, tangential and extraneous, superfluous and extemporaneous fountain pen show, where we talk about what's going on at the Gilly Pen Company and in our fountain pen lives. In today's show, it actually is a pretty good one, pretty historic. Yeah. We've got a couple of, couple of cool things, even though we're having to go back, backpedal a little bit. Um, we're going to be talking about the, the benefits of a number eight size nibs, big nibs. We have a special guest joining us, answering one of our questions about some overlap between the fountain pen world and the mechanical watch world. So that should be interesting. Um, we're going to be talking about pens that have indestructible nibs and what a newbie should do with their first $300 or just $300 budget in general. Uh, most weatherproof pens. We have a tip on filling pens and we're going to be unveiling a very special new exclusive pen in our pen spotlight. Mm. We've been working on it, sitting on it for quite some time and we're ready to talk about it today. So it's a good show, right, Drew? Like, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Content-wise, yeah. this is good. It might be the vibe might be a little wonky, but... Uh, I told Drew, like, if we have both video and audio in some usable fashion, I'm calling that a win this week. An absolute <laughs> win. And just to be clear, like, we've done this successfully remotely before, and this is really on me. I just, like, we brought all our stuff back to the office, and I have gear, stuff I needed to bring back. I forgot, like, the power cord for the camera, so I'm having to use batteries, so we're going to have to stop at some point and I'm swap the batteries out. I forgot these other things, and there's random cables that aren't working, and it's just, like... What is going on? Something, something in the air. But anyway, we're gonna get into some pen feedback. I don't know why I said pen feedback, but whatever. Feedback. Yeah, feedback. Drew? Something. You know, honestly, sure. a lot of the feedback we get is not about fountain pens at all, Brian. It's about some of the. It's either about complete nonsense that we talked about last episode, or correcting us on some of the nonsense we talked about in the previous episode. It's, a, it's usually a lot of correction. There's, there's plenty to correct us on. You know, I will say, for as many times as we put our feet in our mouths, uh, um, anyway. <laughs> oh, that's gross. Uh, so, I, I don't know. What, I that, that sounded really terrible. Um, for as many times as we say things that are not completely true, everybody's so super 
polite and understanding uh, in their correction. They're just they're always just kind of like ah. Oh. They're, no. they're getting what they're, they're, getting what they're paying for <laughs> they in this broadcast. Yeah, they know. Uh, but last week we discussed the future of fountain pens and the future of analog hobbies and activities. And I said, you know, hey, do you think maybe in the future, you know, gasoline cars will be like a cool hobby that people do? And right. I remember there was a movie that kind of got to that. It was a futuristic sci-fi movie, but I couldn't remember which one had like a, a you know internal combustion engine car, and they acted like it was a big deal, and true to form youtube came through and reminded me that it was in fact demolition man starring my boy sylvester stallone hey and you know how i feel about stallone i was very very upset that i didn't uh i didn't know that and because demolition man right. is a, that is a good movie man he's a, a documented fountain pen user as we have discussed previously if I'm no not there no 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 brian and i didn't write this down for feedback but in the feed there were a couple people who did not agree with your definition of use as far as to hold a fountain pen, meaning they're using a fountain pen, they're using it to pose. It was your point, but I think I, I think I made my case. I still mind it. That was oh, okay. Brian's gonna Brian, um, but anyway, yes, demolition man. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, just like my nerd card got taken away, I guess my three seashells will have to get revoked. Um, another thing, uh, I was talking about turtles being herps, and I was so certain that. Herp was like short for something like herpa, herpetile, herpa, herp, herp, herpetoid, something. <laughs> uh, I was told that no, no, it is in fact just herp. And that's why I couldn't find what I was looking for because it doesn't exist. It's just herp. And okay. it made me think of ham, Brian. Have I ever told you about how I feel about the word ham? Um, no, I don't, I don't I feel think like so. <laughs> I feel strongly that ham is short for something, but it's not. It's just ham. But doesn't it yeah. sound like something like it, it doesn't it sound like a shortened version of a bigger word? I've always felt that. I'm like, what is ham short for? Like ham million? I mean, think like ham, hamburg, ham, like ham, hamburger, like that's beef. That's not, that's not pork. It's just like, oh yeah, it's, it's ham and cheese. Ham, 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 ham what? It's just ham. And that's always bothered me. I feel like there's a mystery word out there that ham is actually short for. But anyway, oh. herp and ham. Think- I just think of uh, 30 Rock with... Uh, the Ham Council? Yeah, the Ham Council. That's right. Ham! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the and then finally, uh, David suggested, um, in addition to my tip of the week last week, which is a very, very simple, barely even a tip, really, but mm. um, just you know, marking down what ink you have and what pens within your pen case or a book that you keep in your pen case, David mentioned it's a good idea to, in addition to doing that, date... Uh, when you have them inked up as well because then if you mix ink up a lot and do different colors pretty frequently in a way you can uh, date some of your notes by knowing when you had something inked up you can say okay well this note was taken you know you know around july or something like that so why not write it down you're already writing down the um, names of the ink so i thought that was a nice little tip that uh, could prove useful if you need to recall when you took a particular note, maybe you weren't being super diligent in your note taking. It was more of a casual thing, but you never know. Sometimes those casual notes can come in handy. Yeah, I would say maybe it depends more if you're like writing it down to keep for reference after that ink is long gone out of the pen. That makes a lot of sense. If it's just like you literally just want to keep track of what ink is in what pen, then I wouldn't feel as crucial about keeping the date on it. But hey, it's not a bad idea. Yeah, not hurting anything. So, yeah. yeah, good cool. feedback. Good suggestion, David. All right. Um, got a note from Dan here. 
Brian is searching for perhaps genus or species, or I think he might have been reaching for taxonomy. That's, That's the it. word. That's it. Which is, uh, I was trying to find well, the word taxonomy, uh, which is the science of naming, describing, and classifying organisms and includes all plants, animals, and microorganisms in the world. There you go. And herps. Thank you, Dan. Herps. Herps are part of a taxonomy, I guess, right? I don't, yeah. don't, let's not open that door. Oh, boy. We're, we're slipping back down the hill. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, John said, I would watch a follow-up of Brian really going to town on a Y studio to see what the limits of it are. My brother works on his cars a lot and takes them to the track, and I'm thinking about buying one for him. Oh, that's kind of cool. But Drew's more like me. Three pen inked limit and careful to clean all my pens well. My brother is not so dainty and is more work with his hands like Brian that I would like to see how someone who would take beat this thing up literally before giving it, getting it for him. I mean, that Y Studio would be a great pen for your brother, it sounds like. And I love the implication here that you just called Drew dainty by referring to me <laughs> as not being as dainty. I so. mean, I am, I am definitely more dainty than you. I'll say that. I think that, that that's definitely true. Fair enough. I, I I feel like I'm dainty. I'm, dainty I'm, is not is not something I've often been no, called. Let's no, no. I've been called an oaf. <laughs> I've been called a gorilla. I, I will say that um, <laughs> I, I am I'm, I am more afraid of breaking things than you are. Oh yeah, I will intentionally break things just to see what happens. Yeah, I remember one time we were testing out a new packing method. We got in a machine that like kind of did that thing that Crate and Barrel does where. You get yeah, it's like the, the crinkly, like expanded paper. Yeah, yeah, called. that honeycomb sort of design. We're like, all right, is this? Will this be a more environmentally friendly option than bubble wrap? And everybody was, and so was we're, like, I wonder if it will hold up. And I was like, let's find out. Yeah, <laughs> so, so we great. wrapped up a b- bottle of ink, you know, packed it up, and yep. you know, we were like, hey, Brian, go, go, you know, kick this or something. And we figured maybe like a a a, a lofty punt up into the air and a landing. No. Homeboy, like, no, I, like spikes it. I like spiked it like a football on the ground. Like, on the concrete warehouse floor. And he's like, no. And he's like, no. No, this isn't any good. <laughs> this stuff sucks. <laughs> no, we didn't, like, totally rule it out then. I was just like, oh, okay. Like, it, it, won't, it won't take that. <laughs> that was a bit much. And you could tell, like, when it, when it, like, landed, it didn't bounce a whole lot. It just kind of, like... No, it was it was defeated. It was defeated. Yeah, <laughs> structural but integrity. You can do that Gone. when you're the owner. You can just be like, oh, you know, if I break it, I I bought you it. Bought so it, yeah, smash it on the ground. It's like, uh, well, learn learn something there. Okay. <laughs> and you've run like, over you've run over pens with your vehicle before too. Absolutely. I can't tell you the number of times that Drew has like brought me a nib or something, and it's like. He's like, I'm pretty sure I need to like pull harder to get this thing out of here, but I don't want to break it. And I'm like, hey, give it to me. I'm like, ah! <laughs> and I just like yank it out of there. Sometimes, sometimes it works. Sometimes I break it. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Usually, yeah, no, usually it works. I'll say that. Yeah. You're, you're not sloppy about it. Usually it works. Oh, yeah. I'm very intentional, but yeah. Uh, that's cool. Fun, fun stuff, John. And then uh, Wanted Visuals had a comment here. I've officially watched so much PenCast episodes. YouTube is recommending me videos about how to put in French trains. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> I live on a second floor apartment, but I guess a life <laughs> skill is a life skill. That is highly motivating. Uh, I hope you're happy with yourself, Brian. You see French, what you've done? French Drain Man on YouTube. He's got some phenomenal You see what you've done? About French drains. Uh, it's good knowledge to have, you know? Boy, I can't tell you. I mean, I learn most everything I know on YouTube these days. 
not in like, I don't, I stay away from politics and like even news and all that. I'm like, okay. But stuff that's like hands-on trying to learn, like fixing something on your car, whatever, getting a stain out of a carpet, stuff like that. I'm like, okay, I know enough about these things to know when I've, I'm like on to somebody that really knows what they're talking about. So yeah, French drain stuff. Yeah. French drain man. He knows what's up. Very regional though. Really depends on your climate, your soil condition. The French drains make a difference. Anyway, you're not learning about French drains. You're here learning about pens and you've yet to learn a thing yet. But we're going to change that now because we're going to get into new stuff. All right, new stuff. Let's talk about what's new, what's coming soon. I got a couple of things to mention. One is a new sailor pen called Knight to E4. That is a chess move for you all who are, well, I mean, if you're watching this, I was going to say for those of you who are nerdy enough to know chess moves, but I'm like, you're watching a podcast video about fountain pens, so... You might be a bit self-selecting there already, but I love chess. I learned to play when I was nine, and uh, it's on my bucket list to teach someone else in my family how to play chess, because it's like a point of pride at this point that they don't want to learn how to play chess, but I'm like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm going to make it like my, like, maybe like my 40th birthday or something. I'll be like, I want nothing else but for you all to sit here and learn how to play chess, and I'm going to teach you. I think that's, I think that's a move I'm not to pull through. I find I find it interesting, but I can't. I don't have the patience for it. It's just like anything. Like if it's poker or chess, I, I start off engaged and focused, and then I just I, by the end of it, I'm just like, ah, screw it, kill me, I'm dead, whatever. I do something dumb on purpose just to lose, <laughs> just so I can get out it's, of there. It's a fun game. I mean, it's it's different every time. I, I agree. I agree. I just can't. I can't hang. There you go. Well, fair enough. It gets the worst. The worst part is when I try to play poker. And I'm like, I'm going to do it this time, and then I try to do stupid things, and then I end mm. up like accidentally bluffing my way to victory and yeah i'm like no i have terrible cards They're like do you i'm like yes yes i absolutely do They're like mm. and they go all in i'm like no don't do that i'm <laughs> bad cards i'm serious they like flip flip it around on you and get to yeah. where you don't you don't even understand if you're or they'll, they'll, or not. They'll, they'll fold when they should have anyway yeah there it's... you go fun stuff all right well anyway i bought this pen <laughs> um so it's a pro gear pen flat top Drew, I know you're a fan of the old flat tops. It's better. Yeah, it's a interesting pen. You know, it's a little. I would say it's a little more classic styling. You know, black pen, gold trim. It's got a metal grip, which you do not see a lot on sailors. I know that can sometimes be divisive for folks, but it's got your little your little like rim on the end there, so you're not just going to slip and slide right off the thing. Um, not to allude too much because Drew literally told me about a slip and slide story from this weekend, which I'm sure is coming up later anyway, but, uh, it's got a knight on the top and, uh, yeah, pretty cool pen. And you it's know, a it's little bit, pearlescent too. It's not like a flat black. It's, it's got, it's, it's got very subtle. Yeah. Very, very subtle, subtle pearlescence. And I've, I imagine that, uh, the, if you're a tried and true pro gear user, this is a very different experience just because of the weight distribution. Having a metal grip really changes the experience. Yeah, it's, it's going to front weight that a bit. Um, so that's pretty cool. So it's got that 21 karat nib, the, the, the mid-size nib out of the three that Sailor is known for. Um, so great, great writing pen. Bicolored nib too, which I like that. I like that. It's a bold choice to have all gold trim, but still do a bicolor nib. But it's nice. It's got that silver touch just within the like decoration part. So it's just a little a little hint of it. So I don't know. I've always kind of been a sucker for two tone stuff, oh, just yeah. in general. Even long before pens, like watches and whatever else. I've always like 
Hmm. Always like that. Always like that look. I don't know why, but anyway. So it's got that little touch. So you can go check it out. We got it on our website. Um, it's four hundred and sixty dollars. So you know it's up there. It's definitely a you know more collector grade, investor grade kind of pen. But um, if you like Sailor, you like that you know pro gear style, you're gonna you're gonna like this pen too. And then we have another pen that we're going to be talking about in the spotlight. But we have a new Lamy pen, and I'm not going to spoil it quite yet. I'm going to make you watch a little bit later. But Ooh, stay more tuned. will be revealed. All right. And that's well, all I got. That's all I got. Um, released this week, by the time you're hearing this, will be a new Twisby Eco. And uh, it is a transparent yellow. Just in time for the springy season. Very citrusy. So if you would like to write with that sort of vibe, this is a good pen to do it with. And um, yeah. It's a it's an eco. They're good. Hooray for that. Also, kind of in that same, you know, vibe, we've got the Arizona Sunset Homo Sapiens by Visconti. So another predominantly yellowy themed, less citrusy though, more American Southwest, but still, it's got some warm vibes. So two pens, two very different price points. But you can expect some tried and true performance from both of them if you are a fan of the Eco or a fan of the Homo Sapiens, both super popular pens that have a great reputation. And um, if you've wanted to get one and just been waiting for something that uh, looks very warm, then there you go. These are them. Yeah, yeah that Arizona Sunset, it's got a lot of red to it, too. It does. Know. It definitely has more of like a Mesa feel to it. Yeah. It's to, got me, it's like more, a, to me, it feels like a, more like a red-orange than maybe a yellow. Yeah, I guess you're right. It's more of like, yeah, yeah. I guess more like a clay sort of, uh, yeah. you know, um, yeah. Yeah, a For sparkly, sure. swirly clay. Yeah. Translucent go with that. clay. <laughs> yeah, but, but like a pretty clay. Pretty clay. <laughs> Basically um, and not, then, not clay at all. <laughs> no, but then one more too. Uh, we just released the Rickshaw 2-Pen Koozie with the Fire and Dice Dragon on it. So... If you'll remember, we had the Fire and Dice Rollerball from Retro 51. It sold out. We got more because you wanted more. And then we greenlit a mechanical pencil version. So that's coming down the pipeline soon. So this case is perfect if you are either A, a person who got one and wants to put something else in the other, a B, a person who's getting both, or C, a person who doesn't particularly care about getting the pens, but still wants the epic dragon art as part of your life. Now, this is the Retro 51 roller, Tornado Rollerball size koozie. So, as far as fountain pens go, it would need to fit a small fountain pen um, because they are made to be sized for the Retro 51. So, either yeah. way, it's there. You can get it. It's awesome. And this, Brian, I love because... Rather than the kind of wraparound design, it's just boom right there on a flat surface. And I think it looks so good having that epic art just showcased right there on a uh, flat canvas. I think it looks just super rad and I'm glad we did it. Wise yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad too because, yeah, that artwork was very intentional. Many hours were put into doing that right because I think I would still be hearing about it if we had screwed up all the dice and which numbers go where and all the different things, the icons that were on it. But uh, thankfully, it has been well accepted and approved. But um, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, the problem, the only problem with having a really cool design like that on a round pen like that is, is you actually don't get to see the whole thing in one glance. So 
I like that this uh, this sleeve does that. So you can credit Drew because it was his idea to do this uh, sleeve. So yeah, thank you, Drew. Well, thank you, Brian, for the nine thousand emails back and forth with uh, Retro Fifty One to get this design right. It might have been ninety five hundred. I'm not sure. <laughs> I lost count after a while, but <laughs> well worth it. Well worth it to create something cool like this. All right, so that's some of the new stuff we got. You can check out more new things that we have. We have new arrivals. We have coming soon. We have all these on a special navigation in the top of our website, so you can check those out. Uh, but until then, we have some Q&A stuff. All right, first question, Brian. This is a fun one, and they're asking about something we have never talked about on this pencast. <clears throat> um, Michael Van Geld, dot, dot, dot. There's probably more name there, Michael. Sorry about that. But Michael asks... What are the benefits of very large nibs like the number eight? We have never really talked about number eight size nibs here, Brian. We haven't really talked about it much because they're, they're not common. Not, they're not common. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about them in, in concept a little bit. Um, but like but, he just uses them as an example. So I guess if we didn't want to, we don't sure. need to specifically okay. go into number eight. But like, what what advantage? Like, why like a bigger big, nib in general? Yeah, like yeah. why big nibs? Like why why is that yeah. even desirable? Yeah, so I mean, Pilot's got some bigger nibs. If you look at their, you know, the customs, as you get up into the higher number customs, you know, the 845, the um, Pilot Custom Yurushi, you know, into the Namiki pens, those get uh, bigger nibs as well. Yeah, those get You've huge. You've got, uh, yeah, Pelican M1000, I think, is in that. Might be a little bit bigger than a number eight, but it's it's definitely up there. You've got your Sailor King of Pens. That's up there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, the actual number standard like number eight size you see it every now and then we've had a monograbba or two that's had it over the years we've had gosh not many pens not many Mm -hmm. pens most of the pens that we've had that have been of that size have been from brands that are making their own nibs so they're not necessarily that number eight you know exact size but kind of what drew is saying what's the benefits like the number eight just a very large nibs um you know uh, I think I think some of the benefits are, you know, first off, it looks very impressive. You know, it's just like very much the centerpiece of the pen. It's really hard to ignore a nib that like, it's like a Sailor King of Pens or an M1000 or something like that, or like a Namiki Emperor. The thing is just massive. Um, so it just looks very impressive. And because you have a lot of, um, you know, surface area to work with on a nib like that, and they're, they're basically only on more expensive, more, you know, like limited pens you usually see some kind of cool design or something special on the nib. Uh, so it just gives you a nice big canvas to do something, you know, really impactful on the face of that nib, just design-wise. Um, so we see that a lot on some of these pens. So it just, um, that looks, you know, it just looks very impressive. Uh, in terms of function, I think that uh, generally speaking, they tend to write a little bit softer. I don't know if that's how they're, maybe intentionally designed, or if it's just the fact that you have, I guess, a little bit more leverage, you know, because uh, the tines are going to be longer, the nib itself is going to be broader, you know, it's, you're going to have, you know, a curvature just like you would with a regular nibber on the feed, but because it's, you know, it's wider, the wings are wider, you know, the tines have a little bit less curvature at the center there um, than you would with a smaller nib. So in general, the bigger the overall, like, dimension size of a nib uh, it tends to write a little bit softer and stuff like that. Now, I don't have like specific factual scientific knowledge to say that it's because of the length of the nib or the size of the wings or whatever. That's more just my own speculation and observation. It could be more of a correlation, sorry, a correlation, not necessarily a causation. 
but I have noticed that all of the bigger nibs like that tend to write very springy, very soft, very wet as well, which I don't know how much feed design goes into that, probably some, because most of these pens with these bigger nibs have absolutely massive nibs, or sorry, massive feeds as well. So again, could be more correlation, maybe not causation, but um, I think some of the springiness, some of the fact that the tines can maybe spread a little bit more since they're longer and stuff, um, they tend to write you know, much wetter. So, uh, generally speaking, I'm not as personally as much of a fan of some of the extra fine nibs in these huge, uh, you know, sizes because, you know, they're going to put down so much ink. You're not going to get the finest writing experience. To me, it's like, if you're going to go big, go big, go, you know, medium, broad stub, if you can, like just go absolutely nuts. Um, you know, and this is the kind of thing that you're not, you're not taking out a pen with a nib this size to be subtle. You want to make an impression. You want to intentionally write with that pen to have an experience. So I personally love these larger nibs. Now the only, it's not really a downside for me because I have very large hands, but the downside for some people may be that because these nibs are so big, they can only really fit them on big pens. Um, you're not going to get a Lamy CP1 that's going to have a number eight size nib on it because it, literally like the feed on these pens is bigger than the diameter of the entire Lamy CP1. You know, they're, they, they're, they're big nibs and they have to fit on very big pens. So that's some of the downside of it. It's going to be big. It's going to be expensive. Um, so just not accessible necessarily to everybody, but whew, everybody I know that's at least written with one, maybe in a pen show or they know somebody that has one, they're like, oh yeah, that's a pretty amazing nib. Like I, I get the appeal. Uh, so for me, it's kind of like, it's, it's like having a luxury car. It's like, yeah, okay, you can drive lots of other cars, but like, yeah, you feel, you feel luxurious when you use one of these gigantic nibs and it's, uh, it's an experience. So anyway, that's, uh, that's my thoughts on it, Drew. I, th- I want to say that um, <clears throat> one advantage of a number eight specifically is that it is a size that can be made in steel. Um, I believe that Bach makes a steel number eight. Um, I think I think Yovo too can make it, which I agree with you. But I am failing to think of a single steel nib pen that has a nib that big. Um, can you think of one? Well, I'm gonna be jumping out of my knowledge zone because Edison just last week uh, announced a uh, a new Collier, like a Collier Grande or something like that, like a big, like a big honkin' premiere. Uh, okay. Premier Collier, um, and that had a number eight nib on it, and uh, hey. they might have they might have sold out because I know that those things went crazy. Uh, they That's had a cra- cool. they had a crazy week. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. The Collier Grand, Grand, and that was a number eight nib. I don't know if it's gold or not. It doesn't look gold. The price um, would be an indicator. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a big honking pen, so I don't even know what the price is. Uh, I mean, I've steel, never steel. So yeah, that's a steel nib. So um, I don't. There's okay. no indications on it, but it is. So I think that the number eight nib at least is there's an advantage there because, like Brian said, all of the other big honking nibs, those are all Sailor King of Pens M1000 and above. So you're talking like there's really no good way to get a gigantic nib for less than the thousand dollar zone. Really, I mean, if if maybe in the eight hundred somewhere, but. Uh, you can get a steel number eight out there. We don't have that. This is in our zone where we don't sell any. So anything 
uh, they were really trying to um, search a bit here, but uh, it, think, they're out I, there. They're yeah. certainly out there. I just, we just can't point to exactly where you can go right now to get them. But uh, I'm seeing. I'm just doing a quick Google search. Like it looks like Scriptorium has at least something from 2019 where they had one on their oversized pens. Their their Bach nibs. I think Bach and Yobo both might do steel number eights, but it's it's really not common. Really not common. At all. No. There could be something to that. It has to. It has to have the right pen, though. It has to be a pen that's big enough to accommodate that. So yeah, like yeah, I mean, like the Collier Edison's Collier is already a big pen, but this Grande is an it even is. even bigger pen. Man, I didn't hear about that. Now I'm like, hmm. Yeah, and yeah. Kind of makes me want one, especially now that I can't, <laughs> now that I can't have it. Uh, what are you um, gonna do? Cool. But, so I, mean, I don't know. I. I, I don't know if I've ever used a steel number eight nib. That's how rare they are. We've yeah, been I in this have business not. for a long time. I wonder how beneficial that number eight nib would be in terms of a writing experience being made out of steel. Because all the ones I've used have been gold, and then you get the softness, the spring Yeah, use. yeah. I wonder if you get any of that with a steel nib. Maybe a little bit, but I don't know. I'm sure somebody out there because knows. If you all ordered a steel number eight or you have any experience with it, please comment because clearly we could benefit from your experience. All right, good question. And I got one more for you. This is from Do- Doggies One. Doges One. Hey guys, do you see any overlap between mechanical watch collectors and fountain pen collectors? Brian, I will say, I have been sitting on this question a while. This this question came in quite a long time ago, mm. and I'm like, this is a great question. And it's and the short answer is yes, absolutely. There's correlation there. Um, but there's a bigger story to be told there because it, there's not just a correlation with fountain pen people and watch people. There's the broader scope of analog hobbies. And I, I waited until I had a good idea for someone who could speak more on this than you or I. And I thought of our friend, uh, Hey Matthew, the, uh, graphic designer who designed our nib chameleon sticker. Matthew is a uh, fountain pen guy, a watch guy, but also just in a greater sense, finds a lot of value in plugging himself into analog hobbies. And I thought that's the guy who we need to hear from today. So I reached out to Matthew. He was kind enough to record us a uh, video. And uh, I think that we should kind of let him have the floor for a little while to, uh, you know, talk about that connection. Question, um, and I'm really flattered uh, that you guys would pick me to kind of weigh in on this, give my two cents. I'm not sure exactly how qualified I am to answer it, but I'm going to do my best and uh, at least give it to you from my perspective. Um, as a kid, I loved watches. Uh, my dad had a Casio databank, and he, I remember he would use the calculator function on it when we were working on projects um, to turn a fraction into a decimal or, you know, add two angles together or, or whatever we were trying to do. Um, and he had phone numbers stored in it and he would, you know, call up those phone numbers so that he could, he could call people. Um, and I just thought it was the coolest thing. Uh, and I remember he, he got me one and he programmed, um, all of our phone numbers in it. My, 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 my parents, my grandparents. Um, so if I was ever at school or a friend's house, and I needed to get in touch with someone and I couldn't remember a phone number. Um, I would have it right there um, on, in, in my watch. And, and I promise you, like, I didn't, I didn't get any cool, any cool points at school, um, for having a Casio data bank. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure I got made fun of. Um, but it was kind of my favorite thing that I owned. It, it was, I, my dad had one and 
And in my mind, like my dad was the coolest, you know, and, um, and pens were kind of the same way. I loved back to school time, um, getting new school supplies and paper and notebooks and pens. And I would always just go for, you know, the best pens, um, which at the time were probably like pilot G2s or, or something, um, some kind of gel pen. Um, and, and that was just kind of my favorite, my favorite time of year. Um, and, and, you know, it was Casio databanks and pilot G2s, but later on it turned into fountain pens and mechanical watches. And so for me, the, the, the connection there really was more serendipitous or sort of just kind of circumstantial. It just kind of happened that way that I was into both things. Um, it wasn't until I started hanging out at pen shows and really getting to know people within the pen community that I learned more about this connection between fountain pens and mechanical watches and not just mechanical watches. Um, it, fountain pen people tend to be, um, sort of Luddites. Like we, we sort of, um, we, we embrace technology, but we're also always looking for something analog, um, something tactile that's, that's not, you know, social media or electronics. Um, and, and so I think, you know, I've seen fountain pens and mechanical typewriters or fountain pens and mechanical cameras, um, fountain pens and, you know, sewing machines, just car engines, whatever these, these mechanical things. And so, um, for me, it's, it's kind of two things. So, so first is, um, sort of, sort of this, this idea that we can, sort of disconnect um, by using a fountain pen um, or by using a mechanical watch. I love my iPhone. I love my iPad and my digital drawing tools that I, that I have um, on my iPad, on my computer. Um, but, but sometimes it's nice to put a pen to paper, uh, especially if I'm taking notes. I, I don't enjoy writing on a glass screen. So for me, I like that tactile experience of feeling a pen on paper or pencil on paper, um, that sort of feedback that you get um, can't be replicated digitally, and, and I love that. Um, and and I take notes a lot, and I jot things down a lot, even if it's just for a few minutes, and and then I just you know transfer that to digital in some form, um, whether it be an email or a calendar invite or something like that, and then and then that note probably goes away. Um, but for me, it pens are a great way for me to disconnect from digital. Um, there are no notifications in my notebook, uh, to distract me or, um, keep me from, um, doing whatever it is I've set out to do. And watches are the same way. I love my Apple watch. Um, it's a great resource for telling me how little I've done today. Uh, I never seem to hit those goals. Um, when I do, it's a celebration. Um, but for me, it's, um, a mechanical watch just does that. It just, it just tells me the time. There's no buzzing. There's no notification. There's no constant connection. Um, it gives, it gives my wrist a break. It gives my, my brain a break. Um, and, and so, so in that regard, pens, mechanical watches, things like that, they, they, they take a, they take me away from the constant digital overload that I get from computers and cell phones and smartwatches. Um, so, the, the other aspect of it for me is serviceability, usability, uh, and longevity. So um, a pen that was made 100 years ago by one of the great American pen makers or, or English pen makers or whatever um, can, can be serviced. It, it can be made new again. So you find this pen in your grandma's drawer and um, maybe it doesn't write or it doesn't work properly and you send it off to a 
a pen repair specialist and you know they put in a new filling system and polish the material and tune the nib and, and sort of restore this pen to at least some semblance of its former glory as this beautiful writing instrument. Uh, and I think that's really special. Uh, and I think, you know, the fact that something has lasted a hundred years and can be repaired and made to last a hundred more is, is pretty beautiful and special. Um, and the same thing with a watch, you know, a watch gets handed down from, from parent to child to grandchild to great grandchild. Uh, this thing that was made a hundred years ago that survived wars and famines and, and hardship and seeing people through marriages and retirements, you know, it, it's told time through, through all of that. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe you, you're the third or fourth heir of this, of this special watch and, um, it's not keeping time like it once did, or maybe it's cracked or broken in some way. You send it to a watchmaker and they can, they can make that watch work again. Um, and I think that's, I think that's really, I think that's really amazing, um, that things were built to last, you know, a computer or an iPhone or an Apple watch or something like that, that exists today, um, will not be any good in a hundred years. Nobody's going to want it. Um, it's disposable. Uh, the, they have a shelf life. They, they, they are designed with a shelf life. They're designed to be impermanent. Um, and so I think it's pretty fun, uh, to think about something that can just get a new life and um, be, uh, be used by somebody else. Um, so, so for me, uh, that's kind of what it comes down to. It's, it's this sort of tactile thing. Um, it's a serviceability thing. It's a usability thing. Uh, it's a sustainability thing. Um, so uh, I think, at least for me, that's the connection between pens and watches. Um, same thing between pens and mechanical cameras. I love mechanical cameras. They can be repaired and made to work again and again and again. Um, and the same thing with you know, whether it be a car engine, um, or a typewriter, um, anything like that. So, um, yeah, thank you guys for allowing me to weigh in on this. It's a pretty special question. I love it. Uh, watches and pens are two things that I absolutely, absolutely adore. And, uh, so thank you very much. I hope this was helpful. Well, there you go. Thank you so much, Matthew. We appreciate it. You were the perfect person the absolute perfect person to ask this to. And uh, I, I think he hit the nail on the head. I, I love the fact that he hit on the fact that repairability is such a big factor with analog stuff. And um, not many people think of iPhones and you know tablets and stuff as disposable because we spend so much money on them. But you can't fix them yourself. And you and it's not, and, and they are going to be, no one's going to want them in, in uh, 10 years. So uh, by buying an old school film camera or a fountain pen or a really good quality knife or something, the demand might still be there and you can get it repaired. I think that's a great point. Yeah. I have, uh, I have a couple of mechanical watches myself. I definitely would not consider myself a collector. Like I don't have a favorite brand. I don't follow anything in that world. But I initially started to see some of the appeal. I saw some like skeleton watches that had, you could see the mechanics in it, essentially a demonstrator right. watch, you know, mechanical demonstrator watch. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I have a couple so, of those too. I really like them. Yeah, they're super cool. And like, I, but as soon as I started to like understand that there is that world, and then I like peeked, like in, like just like cracked the door open, and I was like, Ooh, okay, nope, nope, too deep, too much. I need to, like, cut myself off. I cannot fall down that rabbit hole. 
because it gets expensive. You think you think pens are expensive? Get into watches. Whoo! Yeah, okay. it's crazy. So I was like, nope. I got a couple of good watches. It's cool. They're just gonna sit there. The thing I will say with this whole COVID situation that we've been in for several years now, every watch I have that has a battery is dead. So the only watches that I wear currently at the moment are my mechanical watches because they I can just pick it right up and wind it and it'll it'll go. So something to be said for that in a post-apocalyptic scenario, I would rather have a mechanical watch than a battery-powered one. So anyway, not very that that's cool. something I think about very much, but yeah. I guess why would you need to know what time it is in a post-apocalyptic world anyway? Well, Who uh, cares? Thank you again for uh, coming on. <laughs> hey, Matthew. Uh, you can find him at, at Hey Matthew on Instagram, and um, you can check out his sticker uh, on our website. If you happen to be a person who can write with any nib size, you're a nib chameleon. Nice. All right. Um, our, next, <laughs> our next question comes to us from Hothead Tom. And uh, he, Tom simply asks, any fountain pen with indestructible nib? Nope. No. <laughs> the end. Uh, that's pretty much it. To me, that sounds like what I visualize with any type of claim of indestructibility when it comes to a nib. I'm just picturing like a TV infomercial. You know, where they have, like, the knife where they're cutting, like, a shoe and then an aluminum can and then a tomato. I'm just, right. like, I'm imagining somebody with a fountain pen and they're just, like, stabbing a watermelon and then stabbing a, a, a beer can. And then they're, like, writing, you know, a love letter to their significant other. That's what pops into my head when I'm thinking about this. And I'm like, that that seems about That's what gets like, me in the mood for romance. Yeah, that, that seems about, like, the type of... The, the quality of those types of products that you see on those TV infomercials is probably what I would expect in the terms of a quality of a pen that would be touting indestructibility in such a manner. Um, but no, basically, I would, I would say that no, indestructibility is not a thing, uh, nor should it really be a thing. I don't think that these are uh, the, the, you know, tools or whatever where indestructibility should be a quality that we look for. Um, because for one, I don't know in what situation, you know, in terms of the nib, at least, you know, the pen, sure, makes sense. If the pen's closed, you're carrying it around. I am, I have literally dismantled an entire carport with a fountain pen in my pocket. And I will often be working in my woods, in my cargo shorts, with pens in my pocket, and they will get abused and beat up and stuff like that. That makes sense. But in terms of writing with them, you know, I'm really not going to be like using my pen as a, you know, screwdriver or something to like pop open a, you know, battery compartment on my kids' toys or something. It's just, that's not how I use my, my pens, my nibs. Um, so to me, it's more like, you know, I think of pens not just as tools, but I think of them truly as writing instruments. So I'm, I got a musical background, you know, I no musical instrument is indestructible as well. You know what I mean? It's meant to do a specific function and especially the nicer the instrument, the finer tuned it is, the better you take care of it. It's not that it's more expensive and all this stuff so that it becomes indestructible. It's actually kind of the opposite. The nicer the instrument, the more precise it is, the more specifically kind of tuned it needs to be. Fountain pens to me fall into that territory where I don't think indestructibility of a nib at least should be the goal. Um, I think it should be durable and I think it should be able to hold up for a long period of time with normal use. 
But to me, I think if you're looking for this quality in a fountain pen, I think you're maybe looking in the wrong place or you, you know, you're looking for it to do something it's not really supposed to do. That's just my opinion. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think you're totally right. I don't think that that's something we need to be searching for, but I just, it does make me think what material would it need to be made out of if someone did try to create a indestructible nib? Um, it wouldn't be metal because all metal can bend. I mean, even a titanium nib is super bendable. Oh, yeah. Um, I feel like it would need to be some sort of rigid rubber that would, you know, or a silicone that would spring back to its original location, but if dropped on the floor, would just kind of momentarily deform and spring back. Um, yeah, but, but then, like, silicone is not a precision material, you know what I mean? Like, no. It's got no, a, ink's got, a fl- ink's got to flow through it, and it's got to be yeah. able to hold its distance, like, for the ink to, the capillary action to actually work through those tines, it's yeah. got to have a very kind of specific amount of distance between the tines for the ink to flow through consistently. Even yeah, if you have, like, a, be... a more rigid kind of, or a more flexible kind of material, I don't think it's going to spring back consistently and precisely enough to to be able to do it, at least no, with no material that I you know, am aware of, yeah. uh, that'll do that. I mean, I think, I think stainless steel is pretty friggin' durable yeah. and yeah. you know, the tipping they use for the tips of these nibs, it's literally like the, some of the rarest, hardest to find materials on planet earth. You're talking about precious metals and, you know, originally iridium, which they're, they don't really use much iridium anymore because it basically comes from meteorites that come from like, space. I, th- I think, prim- <laughs> like, I think actually primarily from one meteorite too. I believe so. So, I mean, and there's not that much of it left. So it's, uh, they use basically rhodium or some other precious metal, which is also not that bountiful in the grand scheme of things. So you're using some of the most durable, hardest, hardest wearing materials on earth. Um, I think if there was something better, it would have been found probably sometime in the last 150 years as fountain pens have been going along, but you never know. They could develop something else, some graphene coated something or other some kind of material and it could be adapted into the pen world i don't know i'd be interested to see if that ever developed into a thing but i don't think anybody's really like taking <coughs> the most advanced material sciences and putting it into old no argu- arguably certainly outdated not. technology yeah certainly not <clears throat> no that's that's going all going into the disposable phones that were paying a thousand dollars for right Drew? oh god hurt my heart <laughs> <coughs> sorry guys i Coffee went down the wrong hole. I was going to say, I'm it better now. be coffee. This is why we're <sighs> apart from each other right now, Drew. I don't want you no, coughing no, all over no. me. It's, it's definitely the, it's definitely the <laughs> coffee. <sighs> all right, good stuff. I mean, I think it'd be a cool concept, but nah. Indestructibility, not something. You should look, look somewhere else for that. <laughs> Get out of here with that. <laughs> Get out of here with that nonsense. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. All right, got another question. This is a, a two-parter Instagram question. This is mm, from... A double VHS um, set. Yeah, there you go. Like Titanic or Dr. Zhivago. <laughs> yes. Um, Sousa Jesse says, One, if you were a newbie and had a $300 coupon, would you buy several starter pens or would you... I'm guessing that goes into part two. It gets cut off there. Mm-hmm. Um, part two... Uh, get something more expensive that you potentially would not have the money to get later. Ooh, so a newbie, would you, if you had 
a windfall of sorts, the house money effect. Would you start small and work your way up or would you just blow it all in one one that's a good question and it's it's not an uncommon question either it's like do you go with like more pens at a lower price or one pen at a higher price you know Mm. you know potentially getting something that will last you forever like this is the only pen i'll need and yeah for a lot of like for a lot of reasons you could find a pen that is would be all you need if you're that type of person if you are just gonna say this is it i have my one pen i'm good but let's be honest if you're listening to the show you're not you're probably not that person. Um, so I am going to say definitely a bunch of pens rather than one $300 pen. And uh, I actually, um, no, now I will say, if you did want to do one $300 pen, you could go with a $300 pen that will last you freaking forever if you take care of it. So you could get a Pilot Custom 823, a 912, which is my favorite pen, uh, or a Pilot Falcon. You could do either a full-size Sailor Pro Gear, full-size 1911. You'd be set. Like, that. that's great. If you had any of those, you're going to be camping happily. That is, those are fantastic pens. However, it's not going to be a... How do you, how do you know you're going to like those if you're a newbie? Right, that's, right, exactly. That's the so, challenging part for so me. So I'm going to say, nah. I'm going to say, go with more. So I also did a little bit of shopping in preparation for this question, Brian, I hopped on GoulaPens.com and oh boy, I made Drew's myself. Gonna be, Drew's gonna be hit, Drew's gonna be dropping hints at me later. I made myself a little shopping cart. So for three hundred dollars, here's what I got, ladies and gents. I got a Ocean Blue All Star, which was my first fountain pen, by the way, um, with a converter and a spare nib because Lamy lets you do that very affordably and very easily. I got a Twisby Swipe, which was my 2021 pen of the year. Love it. I got a Pilot Explorer. That has an additional Con 70 being packaged with it. I also bought a Pilot Kakuno with an additional Con 40 attached to that. I got two Pilot Parallels for additional fun. I got a High Ace Neo, which is even more calligraphy fun. I got a bottle of Pilot Roshizuku Kanpeki. I got a bottle of Sailor Manyo Haha. I got four Lagoulet notebooks, two Rodia dot pads, a pack of Pilot cartridges, a pack of two syringes, a bulb syringe, and I still have $25 left over. And I don't even need that for shipping because I'm in the free zone at that point. So all that with $25 more for you to get a, you know, another pen if you wanted to, some more accessories, some more bottles of inks. Like, you do not have to drop big bucks in order to get a super satisfying, fun writing experience with a lot of variation. Like, all that. You're talking... With the parallels thrown in there, with the highest neo thrown in there, you get you could get a 6.0 nib on that parallel. You could get, you know, smaller variations in either the parallel or the highest neo. You've got Japanese extra fines in there. You've got the Twisby swipe, which comes with a buku type of converters and cartridges galore. You get some of the best ink we carry. Like you get the full range of writing experiences for three hundred dollars, and that's just my personal shopping cart. You could very easily come up with something with even better variety than that. It's not hard to do, but a $300 spread around, managed the right way, like, oh my gosh, you are gonna, that, that's fun for years right there, for real. And that would 100% be my recommendation. And also personalization, right, Brian? Like fountain pens offer that. We, you can find the one you like. Like Brian said, how are you gonna know what you like if you're a newbie? experiment and that's one great thing about fountain pens your nib size your ink your paper find the thing that speaks to you and then that's you know you can kind of at that point 
move in that direction with subsequent writing experiences, purchasing decisions, collections, whatever. Um, but uh, casting a wide net, you know, and uh, bringing in a multitude of options will, I think, help you get there faster. It's a solid list, Drew. Very well, very well thought through. Yeah, I would, I would throw a Twisby Eco in there somewhere, maybe swap something else out. You know, just my personal taste. Sure, sure. As long as you're not swapping the swipe. I, I think want, the swipe the swipe would be the first thing to go. I wouldn't. Are, I won't allow that. No, sir. A hot, hot you're, pile not, of garbage, you're not swapping think, my uh, swipe. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I like that pen. I just like to trash Drew for liking it so much. No, very solid list. I, I think, you know, I can speak to what I actually did when I first got into fountain pens. I mean, when I looked at fountain pens and I saw pens that cost hundreds of dollars, I literally didn't even know what I was looking at. So, I mean, granted, there was no one doing two-hour pen casts back then. So I did not. Not have like the you benefit. would want to watch that anyway. At that point, like what the heck? I mean, some people do. Thank you. I'm glad. But um, you know, back then it was just I was like reading stuff on forums and looking at you know stock images if I was lucky. So the information that was there in 2009 when I was learning things, it was a little harder to come by. So basically, I I definitely did not feel confident in making a significant nib, you know, pen purchasing decision. So I started out with the really expensive stuff because I really didn't know what I liked. And of the, I think I bought six fountain pens. You know, I bought like a Lamy Joy, a Quaco, uh Classic Sport, the clear one. I bought a couple of Pelican Scripts. Um, maybe a couple other pens. I don't quite remember what. Uh, Lamy Vista, I think, was in my first my first purchase. You know, so I bought like some of the ones that were recommended at the time as like the go-to newbie ones. And of all of those, I use maybe like one of them still. So my taste changed quite a bit. I bought different nib sizes and all that. And some of them I was like, oh, yeah, I don't like this at all. And after like five minutes, I was like, oh, well, I didn't spend a lot on that. I'll keep it, you know, just to reference it. But that's not for me. So for me, I think as a newbie, definitely recommend, you know, with any type of a budget. Start small. You know, I wouldn't even buy everything at once. I would maybe buy a couple of things and then, you know come back later, buy a little bit more, you know, cause you're going to just learn things and get more experience. If you buy everything kind of in one fell swoop, I mean, that is pretty fun and exciting, but you also may be like, Oh dang it. I really wish I had known at the time that I like this nib size or I like this feature. Cause I might've bought this. Three swipes. Instead yeah, of might... Just one. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so, you know, I would say take that same approach, maybe build your list, but don't buy maybe everything at once. You know, get the ink, get the paper, because that's kind of important. But um, maybe go easy on the pens as you start to learn your tastes. See if you can borrow some stuff, get a handle on things, and then, you know, cut down the learning experience a little bit. Um, but that's more my thing. I think with any, you know, the over, overall thing with any fountain pen purchase, there's there's going to be somewhat of a law of diminishing returns. You know, spending twice as much on a pen doesn't mean it's going to be twice as good or right twice as smooth or whatever. It doesn't mean you're going to like it twice as much. You might, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the case, especially if you don't really know what you're into and you're still kind of new to it all. So I think that uh, you definitely don't even have to get into expensive pens. There's plenty of people that I know that we talk to and they're like, yeah, all I own is like Twisbees and basic Lamy's and they're like, they're great and I love them and I use them all the time and I'm wanting of nothing more. And I couldn't conceive of spending more than a hundred dollars on a pen. It's just not ever in my future. And I'm like, cool, like more power to you. Just 
friggin' write your heart out. I think that's pretty awesome too. So I don't want you to feel like you always have to be spending more. Um, I think there's a lot of contentment to be had with some uh, more affordably priced pens. Absolutely. That's why they make a whole range of them so that uh, everybody can kind of get what they like. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Brian. I think that starting in an entry, like the, the best answer really is to start with a very entry level pen like a Kakuno or something like that. And then mm-hmm. maybe look at like a Twisby 580 that one of those kind of like $50, yeah. $60 pens in that range and then move up from there. And we've got, you know, if you look at the our website, you know, you can sort things by popularity. You can sort by price range. Um, we have all kinds of videos that are, you know, top pens for newbies, top pens for students, you know, all kinds of roundup style videos that we've done over the years, you know, with exactly this type of, uh, you know, notion in mind. So that's always a good place to start, too. And you can get... I mean, trying to learn as much as you possibly can before dropping any money is is always a good thing. And that's why we're here. And you can also email us at info at com. Our customer care team would love to help you pick out your first pen. Oh, yeah. They do that all day, every day. I mean, every work day, not on the weekends. Right. They have lives. Okay. (laughs) We've got uh, one last question from Curtis. Mm. Brian and Curtis asks, the most weatherproof fountain pens. Weatherproof. Weatherproof. I don't know if I've ever been. I don't know if I've ever been asked that specific phraseology before. I'm thinking like if a pen is just subjected to a multitude of elements of nature outdoors, which one is going to survive the best? So yeah, maybe some some clarification might be helpful. I think either way, we're going to get to a similar place. Is it something that like I'm camping in the woods? And I am just going to leave my pen outside with my camping stove and my other stuff. And it's just going to be out there exposed to the elements. Sure. Yeah. Let's go with that. Is that it? Or is it more like... Let's go with like, not not necessarily like, will this write in the rain? Because that's more about performance. But like... Yeah. That's that's kind of where I was going. Like, is it something that... What pen will survive out if you leave it out? Like, let's say you drop it in the driveway and gets rained on and you lose it for a couple of weeks or you do take it camping and you leave it out mm. with your gear and it gets rained on or snowed on or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So I it's think, more about, more about like the durability of the pen and like, as opposed to the maybe writability. I think it? so because all fountain pens are going to have the same like writing <coughs> weaknesses just because they all, you know, yeah, yeah, have okay. the same system of performance. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, well, speaking of what we mentioned a little bit earlier, I am I am one who will, I mean, I have like, I don't know, five pairs of, you know, whatever, tennis shoes, running shoes, whatever you want to call them, that are now like my outdoor shoes, because I, I keep wearing my like normal everyday around the house shoes. And I'm like, oh, let me just take the trash out here. Oh, look, I need to pick these weeds. Oh, now I'm you know, shoveling compost. And I'm like, whoops, forgot to change my shoes. Yeah, I've done that. Guess, guess these are yard shoes now. Yeah. I mean, I will, I will get involved in things and not really think about what I have in my pockets or what I'm wearing. You know, I'll be wearing like a button up shirt like this. And then I'll go out there and be like grinding metal with an angle grinder. And I'm like, Oh shoot. I am wearing, you know, a not shouldn't be grinding metal with this shirt, but here I am. So knowing that about myself, <laughs> I tend to like lean towards things that are, you know, a little more, more durable, uh, in that respect. So I, I don't like carry around a, you know, 
really nice Namiki or Tachia or something like that in my pocket. Those are pens that I will keep in my backpack or at my desk or whatever. The pens that I keep in my pockets are the ones that are going to be kind of what Curtis is asking about here. So for me, they kind of fall into like two different camps, right? You get like two different pens that are really good for this type of usage. You get pens that are either, you know, uh, basically really durable plastic, like an ABS plastic, like I'm thinking a Lamy Safari, specifically a charcoal, like a matte Lamy Safari. Pretty great all around workhorse pen, hard to go wrong. Even if you damage the nib, you can replace it. You know, Lamy Safari is like pretty much a go-to beater of a pen. Yeah, that was going to be my suggestion. I know that uh, Adrian, um, our customer care manager, she had a petrol safari that she was really distraught about losing. And uh, Mm. it was, in fact, in her driveway for, I believe, months, if not not weeks. But (laughs) I didn't hear about this. Yeah, no, it writes fine now. She loves it. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a testament right there. Yep. I mean, I've known customers of ours who have been um, somebody that's like a, a border guard and like, and they're, they're riding around on ATV all day in like, you know, a uniform and they use a safari. Other people are like military personnel or active, you know, first responders and that, and like they're in, you know, potentially chaotic, crazy, you know, spontaneous situations with who knows what in their environment that they'll deal with. You know, Lamy Safari is a pretty common pen that people will use for that purpose. Um, because it's very reliable. It's also incredibly affordable in case you do need to replace it. So that's, that's a pretty easy recommend. Um, so you could go like the plastic, you know, kind of pen route. Um, I think you could, honestly, I think you could even go Lamy 2000. I mean, that's a, you know, higher end resin, if you will, um, you know, polycarbonate and yes, it has a gold nib, but it's a hooded nib. So it's pretty well protected. Um, you know, I, I will feel very comfortable carrying a Lamy 2000 around, not even in a pen sleeve, just in my pocket with my keys because it's it's not a shiny material. So even if it gets a little bit scratched, you really can't tell because it's already, you know, pretty much scratched in, a, in the way that they make them. And it's got a stainless steel clip. So it's, it's pretty dang durable as it is. Um, so that's one that I would recommend, though, you know, I would I would be more hesitant about losing that one. Um, so maybe not bringing that one out into the woods. But, you know. I wonder if we could go a whole episode without saying anything about a Lamy 2000. I mean, it's a pretty sweet pen. I don't know if we have you know, yet, Brian. I think maybe it comes not, up. Maybe I think not. it comes up every episode. Maybe not. No uh, one's called us out on it yet, but I, I've, I've noticed. It would be a Sorry. challenge. I wonder if we could say, like, hey, we're not going to talk about a 2000 this episode. And then something like this will come up. Oh, and also, <gasps> whoops, there's another pen that is also pretty good. Well, the cup will come up with a secret code for it. Um, so yeah, you could either go the very durable plastic route or you could go like solid metal pen, like truly like the one you could run over with a car. Um, like, you know, it was mentioned earlier, a Y studio, very solid pen for that, you know, kind of in the same vein, you've got the, the metal pens from the the all sports, um, from Kaweco. Those are super durable as well. Um, the traveler's pen, that is the, that literally is the pen that I had in my pocket when I dismantled my carport and it was like 95 degrees outside. And the thing wrote as if it had been coddled in a blanket in my office. I don't know what I'm talking okay. about, but you know, it, it'll take a licking and keep on ticking. Um, Quaco's, Quaco's actually got several. They got the Allsport, they got the Lilliput, they got the Supra. Like they got the, they got, they actually have 
a surprising amount of metal pens. I mean, even if you wanted to go with plastic, they've got a contender in that arena too. That's true. Like, Kaweco, I mean, yeah, Quebeco is like those. those they're that not. Might, they're that not, might be one of the most durable pen. Is that one of the most durable pen brands out there? I'm trying to think of a pen. It might be. They're they definitely make. not as. Uh, they're not as dainty as I am for sure. <laughs> they're not. They do not make dainty <laughs> pens. That's true. <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think that would be that would be a good contender. And some of those pens, I mean, the metal ones, any metal pen, you're going to be getting up there a little bit more in price, but they're going to they're going to really really hold up. I mean, that's not a pen that you're going to damage. Basically, I mean, you would have to really try. Um, but uh, yeah, that's kind of you know the metal the metal thing. The only the, the only thing I'll say about the metal, I mean, theoretically, you could have them corrode or like you know um, um, patina or something like that yeah. with, with a lot of exposure. But it's going to take a while. I mean, I guess if you, like, leave it in your driveway for months, like, it's going to show its wear. But, I mean, metal in that situation is going to last longer than plastic. There's no question about that. So, like, um, I think that's going to be not as much an issue. The, the main the main concern with metal in, like, a I'm going camping kind of a situation is going to be the weight. You know, any metal pen like that, you're going to have a trade-off of the weight of the pen. Yeah, but wouldn't you also potentially run into some sort of either oxidation or corrosion or rust in the threads if you leave it out in the elements like plastic won't that won't happen to plastic it depends depends on the pen um you know not all metals are the same so if you have a you know for example if you have a stainless steel pen you're fine like that's not going to corrode um if you have an aluminum pen you're going to be in pretty good shape unless you make contact with certain chemicals that it will corrode with. Um, if you have a copper or a brass, you might get a little bit more of that, but neither of those really rusts. They'll patina and they'll be like sensitive to things like salt water, maybe, but in general, it's still going to hold up pretty darn well. I mean, like I'm talking like over a period of years, you know, copper will turn black and kind of green and stuff like that. But even then, if you're actively using the threads, you know, like, yeah, if you pick it up after it's been outside for three years and then you go to unscrew it, it's going to be a little tight because you might have a little corrosion that has gotten the threads in there. But, you know, you do that a few times and it's going to break off any corrosion and it's going to expose the bare metal and you're good to go. I think we so, need to get to get 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 a get a couple fountain pens sent to, the, you know, one of the deadliest catch, you know, cra- <laughs> crab boats and see, that what would com- be a, see that how would, things come back. That would certainly test the weatherproofness of any. I mean, there, there's thing. lots of weather happens out I, in the in the Bering Sea. I mean, look at those crab pots; they're made of metal, right? Like that's the, you're getting exposed to that. I don't think they make them anything special. I'm pretty sure it's just bare steel. So yeah, I mean, you get like a fire blue Supra; it's going to be the same metal that you have for something like that See, as you would with a crab, want a crab pot. pot pen. <laughs> I want a pen made of an old crab pot. Is that a thing? That would be a fat pen. It'd have to be like this big. Those tubes have got to be pretty thick. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so you got lots of options. I think, uh, you know, we got several pens here, but, uh, you know, in general, I wouldn't say fountain pens are probably, like, made for that necessarily, but there are definitely people that use them in some pretty crazy scenarios, and uh, you can get some that really hold up well. So if you guys have any other recommendations in the comments, um, please let us know any specific pens that you've used that are really good for this kind of abuse, um, you know, share your experience. That'd be good to learn from. All right, that's it for the Q&A. Now we're going to go on to a very, very quick and simple tip of the week. All right, tip of the week. Tip of, tip, 
<clears throat> Happy to tip. Tip of the week this week. Very simple one. Um, I swear we've talked about this before, but I looked back through all of our previous tips of the week and I did not see this specific one. So I feel like I'm crazy because maybe we talked, we talked about, it. about it outside of the tip of the week zone. I'm certain that we have, but just to make it official as an official tip, this is very, very basic. And you'll find this in most of the instructions of new pens that you have. Um, but basically if you are using a new pen, um, not even a new pen necessarily, but if you're using a pen after it's been cleaned, an uninked pen. So assuming you've changed out the ink color or you just, um, you know, are not refilling the same ink that you've used before, basically. Uh, you know, obviously the process, this is, this is especially for anything that's a converter pen or a piston pen, anything where you're, you know, slowly screwing the ink into the pen. So this wouldn't necessarily apply for a vacuum or cartridge or anything like that. Um, but, you know, you're going to operate that piston. Oh gosh, let's see if I can actually get my nib down into my ink. My ink level is getting low on this one, Drew. I've used it a lot. Oh, wow. So, you know, if I fill my, I've used, a, I spilled half of it on my fingers when I did that syringe thing. Um, oh, that was the best one yet. That? So I'm filling my pen. This is a Twisby ALR. Um, you know, plenty of ink on my grip there, which I just now realized. Oh, I have a paper towel over there. Okay. So, you know, normally you're inclined to just fill the pen and then I go, okay, it's good to go. I'm going to go right with it. Well, there's two challenges with this. For one, if I'm filling the pen, having not, you know, had anything in there, there's going to be air. There'll be a lot of air in the feed, air in the, in the top here. As you're filling it, you know, if your ink level is getting a little bit lower, you could be sucking some air in there as well as the ink. You can end up with air in your feed and you could either have like a completely flooded feed and you just start gushing ink all over the page. And then it takes you a little while to, um, you know, get it into kind of its normal writing stat status. Or if you have air in there and you've kind of been sucking up air as you've been filling it, you could get some like pockets of air that build up in there and you start getting some skipping and stuff like that. And you're like, I just filled this pen. Why is it skipping? Um, so basically the tip is after you fill a pen, it's not a bad idea to just unscrew it and let a couple of drops of ink come back out. So that will essentially force a lot of the extra ink that's in there to kind of, you know, come out. And then uh, any air bubbles and stuff will sort of work its way through. And then if you very slowly just kind of screw it back up in there um, with just two drops like that, if you were to let a whole bunch out and then suck a lot more in there, you could then incorporate more air and have more air bubbles, but just two drops, you should be fine. You're not going to be depleting the entire, you know, feeds worth of ink, um, but you're going to essentially going to be getting that full saturation amount of ink, you know, kind of out. And then by drawing it back into the pen, you're getting a little bit closer to like a more proper um, level of fill. So that's uh, something that like, even from some of the old pen sales reps and stuff that we know who've been on the circuit for like 20, 30 years, they all have this method. You know, pretty much all the manufacturers going way back when they filled pens, it was always, you fill it all the way, let out a couple of drops, and then you start writing with it. So just a good practice to have. I don't think it's something that gets maybe quite talked about as much with newer pens. And especially because a lot of newer pens, they don't have like full instruction sets and stuff with them necessarily because so much is online and it's accessible and it's, you know, there's videos and stuff like this. It's, it's a little more common knowledge. And, um, but back in the day, I think that was much more common. So it's just not a bad practice to have when you're doing it, you know, so you're not going to really miss those couple of drops of ink, but you're probably going to have a little more reliable, a little smoother writing experience if you, uh, if you fill your pens that way. So that's my tip. 
You know why I love that tip, Brian? Is because a lot of new users, whether you're a new fountain pen user in general or you're using a new pen that you're not familiar with, they're using it for the first time, this tip makes it so that your initial writing experience isn't vastly different than the writing experience that that pen will provide you ongoing. Because a lot of the yeah. time, you are writing with that super saturated feed. And then once you deplete that super saturation zone and you're just pulling yeah. ink from the reservoir as you are normally, it can feel kind of like, oh man, like I, I had this really rich you know, flow and now it's weak. Maybe something's yeah. wrong. And it can be a little misleading if you're not totally familiar with um, that pen or if you're not familiar with fountain pens habits in general. Because sometimes, you know, you might have a pen and you get a new one and that pen might just have a feed that holds more ink. So that initial experience might be vastly different. And, uh, you know, and feeds are different. Certain feeds have way more, uh, you know, fins, storage zones, whatever. Um, so it can surprise you. And I didn't storage know about zone. this tip uh, for a long time. It took me years before I heard about this. So I was really happy yeah. to hear it. Yeah, it was something that, you know, I didn't, I didn't hear mm. it talked about super commonly or even seen in a lot of videos and stuff. It was really talking to some of the like people in the industry who have been, you know, doing sales calls to brick and mortar stores or, you know, done like pen shows where they're demonstrating pen usage constantly. Um, those are the people who really like drove that home with me. And then once I started to look at a lot of the instructions, I'm like, Oh yeah, sure enough. That's what's in a lot of these things. So not a bad, not a bad practice to have. Plus, you know, like Drew said, it's going to give you a, maybe a little bit more consistent, more reliable um, showing of your ink as well. Cause I think now, especially cause you have so many high sheen shimmering, you know, these types of inks, if you put them down super, super wet, it's going to exacerbate those characteristics, which is maybe good. That might be what you want. But if that's your first impression of an ink and you're writing it with this like crazy saturated feed and you're like, Oh, this looks amazing. And then you kind of go use up that initial bit. And then you're just pulling from the thing. You're like, Oh, you're like disappointed from there on out. And you're like, how can I never get that back? What's wrong with my pen? Well, yeah. nothing's wrong with it. It was just, it was, it was, uh, you were using it as a dip pen kind of. Yeah. A little bit, which, you know, you could little, do little bonus tip. You can always flood it and get it to do that intentionally. You know, you have to kind of keep, keep flooding it like that, but that is something you can do if you're really going for that, like punch you in the face saturation. Um, that's another little tip you can do. And that's going to be easier on some pens than others, like a Lamy pen. A lot of the feet, a lot of the fins and stuff on those feeds are on the inside. Um, so it doesn't necessarily grab onto quite as much ink. Whereas you have something like, you know, Twisby's got a lot of fins on the outside, you know, Pelican, I think especially has got like tons of fins on the outside. So those ones will grab onto a lot of extra ink and give you those super saturated uh, things. So anyway, fun little, fun little tip. I thought maybe it would be useful. All right. Now we're going to move on to the spotlight. Which you've all been waiting for, Brian. Secret, secret the reveal. notes here say something. Just I, I don't even know. I don't understand what's written down here. Oh, what's it's coming? What is this? Here it is coming at you all. Our pen spotlight. All right, folks. I think we've uh, titillated you long enough as to what this thing is. So the super fun special reveal that we have for the pen spotlight is going to be the Lamy. Vista Black. What? This is, yes. This is a U.S. retailer exclusive. There's no such thing as a U.S. retailer exclusive from Lamy. Brian, get out of here. Uh, this would be the first. So <gasps> Collective the big, gasp. 
a bit historic. Now, I'll be honest with you, it's not like, whoa, a whole new model of pen, like it's a Lamy Vista. Okay, so like I'm realistic about that, not trying to oversell it. <laughs> but as those of you who followed us for quite some time, we've been selling Lamy since 2011. And every now and then they'll have a color that comes out and you're like, whoa, that's different. That's really cool. But most of the time you're like, what shade of gray or black or silver is this going to be? You know, it's like their, their style is a little more subtle, right? So that's kind of what this is here too. So I'm trying not to like overhype it, but at the same time, like I'm pretty friggin' excited. Like, let's be real. Um, it's been a long time in the making and we've really, um, you know, worked with Lamy to try to do something cool here. So uh, this is a bit historic because they've never done a U.S. retail exclusive. I don't think they've done a lot of retailer exclusives in general. Lamy's a big company. They make a lot of pens. I mean, they just did their first U.S. exclusive ever, um, like two, three yeah. years ago, the uh, Lamy yeah. USA, which I will say, even if this wasn't a Goulet exclusive, I still think that the Vista Black is better than the Lamy USA. I mean, we're incredibly biased, so I don't know how we could possibly make I'll, We'll let the people decide. But anyway, this was a little more intentional. I mean, yes, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like, there's there's some stuff that we're able to do. There's some stuff that we weren't able to do. It's, it's just practicality. Lamy, they, I don't even know how many millions of pens they sell a year. It's probably a lot. We didn't buy millions of pens. So the fact that we were able to do this at all is kind of amazing. And it really speaks to you know, the work that everybody at Lamy did kind of rooting for us and, and rooting for you all supporting us and all that kind of stuff. So it's pretty cool. Anyway, I could gush about that all day long, but I won't. So Lamy's done a lot of regional exclusives and they've done a lot of like variations of pens. A lot of times they'll have, you know, some special color or they have a, a collaboration, you know, they've done like something with Pokemon and Minions and Line, you know, Drew's Brown Safari and stuff like that. So they've done some of that kind of stuff, but those are in, those are like whole region, you know, multiple countries, that kind of thing. So yeah, he's got his up on the shelf because he's proud of it. Um, so, you know, quantities are pretty substantial to buy those. So it wasn't practical for us to do that. But what we did think was really cool was like, you know, the Vista has been a pen that we have carried from the very beginning. It literally is like one of the, it was, it was one of the first fountain pens that I ever bought, ever used. I still have it. It's right here. This is my Vista that I've had now for well, I bought it in 2009, so whatever, 13 years or something like that. Wow. Still trucking, and it's like the one I've used in all my videos. It's my This is this is the one. Um, and it's literally the same. It has not changed. I don't know exactly when they came out with the Vista. They came out with the Safari in 1980. They called it the Safari Vista at first because it's a Safari that you can see through. It's the only demonstrator Safari I think they've ever done, that to my knowledge. Um, but they came out with this and they're like, yep, we're good forever. Never going to do anything different. And they've never done anything different with the Vista. And it's just been like a consistent pen. It's just kind of always there. It gets talked about a little bit, but not a whole lot. People buy them. They sell pretty consistently. They're reliable, but just, they're just always there. So we were like, that would be kind of cool to do something unique with the Vista. So we, we threw around some ideas um, and, you know, the notion of doing a variation on the Vista was something that, that they perked up a little bit and we were like, okay, let's, let's do this. Um, so, um, you know, the Vista, it's been, you know, this mainstay ever since uh, 2011. So I got some notes I'm referring to and I've already said half of it. Um, you know, so looking at other colors that they've done of other pens, like the Safari All-Star Studio, even like the 2000, the Emporium, the CP1, the Scala, they've done special editions of all these pens, but they've never done anything different with the Vista. Um, so 
we wanted to keep a lot of what was good about it, but we were like, you know, with some minor tweaks, we think we could make this thing just like super tight. So that's exactly what we did. So the big selling point of the Vista, obviously, is that it's a clear bodied pen. Clear demonstrators love those pens. Not looking to change that. <laughs> but, you know, we wanted to jazz up the trim a little bit and, uh, you know, enhance some of the, the packaging and the initial stuff that comes with it. Really, we just wanted to like put a bow on it. Didn't need drastic changes. So um, what we did, we kept the, the body exactly the same. And that helped too, just from a practical standpoint. You know, if they didn't have to make a whole new body, that actually made it feasible for us to do something. Whereas if we were like some whole new color, new design or whatever, we would have been talking like some ridiculous number of pens we could have never afforded, right? We're just one retailer. But we were able to work with the body and make changes to the rest of it um, that I think y'all might like. So um, we did change up the trim. Normally it comes with a silver clip, um, but they, um, you know, have a black clip on certain pens. Uh, they didn't just take the regular black clip though. They did a black PVD coating, which is a more durable um, type of black. So we wanted this to really be able to, you know, take some abuse. So um, they did a PVD coated black clip and I forget what PVD stands for polyvinyl. Does it, does it look different other. than the regular clip? Can you, can you, not really. Can, I mean, you have I another mean, black clip. You can't you can't really tell necessarily. I mean, black is black. How different is it really going to look? Um, it's it looks pretty similar to most other black clips, but it's just going to be um, you know ideally a little bit more durable since the clip is something that that can take a little bit more abuse. Cool. Um, so it's got that black clip. It's got the black nib as well. You know, just a standard Lamy black nib. And then that's nice because it already had a black ring here. It already had a black finial. So we thought like uh, it would just like. Delt it out a little bit more. Um, so really the only silver part left on this pen is you got, you know, the, the insert here in the cap. Um, I don't think it was practical for us to make that in black, so we just kind of left it. Um, but then um, something else that I don't think Lamy has ever done, not to my knowledge, um, we packaged it up so that it comes with a black cartridge. I don't think, I, I think it, literally every pen they've ever done has come with the standard Lamy blue cartridge. So we asked for that. We were like, can we do it with a black cartridge? And I fully expected them to be like, no, we do a blue cartridge with everything. But they were like, let me see what we can do. And we got it. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, that's incredible. Um, so that's pretty tight. I know it's not that big of a deal. Like, whatever. You can put whatever cartridge you want in it. But I don't know, it was cool to us. And it was just like, you know, especially as like a, a giftable, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah, and like, Lamy's just been, stealthy. like you said, though, Lamy has always been so, like, we are introducing it, and now this is the way it is for decades. You know, they when they bring yeah, out a makes, pen, you know, it's, sense. it's you know they they stick with it. They're they're in there for the long haul and with their pen models. And you know, it's economies of scale and all that kind of stuff. Even even pens where they've done a special edition and they've done cartridges in that color, they still package the pen with a blue cartridge. You know, which is like, come on, guys! Like, you got an opportunity right here. So we were like. If we could do it with a black cartridge, we'd like to be such a win. So we did. And it's like, oh, it's so cool. Uh, but then the other thing that we did too, um, you know, I know in, in Germany and in other parts of the world, like Lamy's primarily in Europe and in parts of Asia too. Um, I don't know whether they're primarily like cartridge or converter in, in Asia, but I know in Europe it's like way dominant cartridges, um, especially talking to folks at Lamy. They're like, they don't package their pens with converters because most people are going to use them with cartridges. But in the U.S. here, we're like, it's like 90-some percent of U.S.-based customers are buying a Lamy and then adding a converter because they're like, I want to use it with bottled ink. That's the whole point with a fountain pen. So, um, you know, especially, 
you know, Lamy, it's a proprietary cartridge, so it's, you're not going to go into a regular office supply store and find Lamy cartridges in the U.S. So you basically need a converter. So we were like, well, one, we definitely want to package it with a converter. And the typical converter that would come with a pen is the Z28, which I have here somewhere. I know because I was just cleaning up my desk. Which is red and that Which doesn't. has a red, yeah, has a red back. And it's got like a kind of a cloudy, you know, uh, plastic. And we're mm. like, okay, mm. it's fine. But then it's like, then you've got this pop of red in the middle of your like kind of slick looking black trim. And it's like, well, we're like, I mean, technically the Z27 will fit on here. You know, it just doesn't have the posts, but it's got a clearer looking plastic on it. Yeah. And it's got the Not silver. frosty. And silver and black Body. components, which match the rest. Yeah. And we're like, that just looks a little slicker. You I know, think so. still got still got the ink window, which is good, so you can see the ink level. Oh, thank pen. goodness for that. I would have no idea. <laughs> we did ask. We did ask because we were like, is it possible to somehow like adapt the rollerball version of the body that doesn't have the ink window? You know, because it's like it seems a little silly. I've always thought it was just like a little funny. I mean, it makes sense because it's the same mold that they use for all the other safaris that would normally be solid color. So it's a clear pen with an ink window. I don't know, it's just funny. Um, but no, apparently like the threading is different and stuff like that. And it would have been a whole thing. So we were like, okay, fine. It's, it's not, I'm not going to die on that hill. So it still has an ink window on a clear pen. Um, but we're packaging it with the converter and it's the Z27. So to my knowledge, no Safari Vista or whatever has ever come standard with a Z27. It's always been, well, nothing, I guess, but the Z28 always been like the default one that goes with it. So I don't know, just to my eyes, it just looks just, you know, it was always been a great pen, but it was just like a couple little things. You're like, ah, and it was always a hack to like, you could swap out a black nib on it. You could use a Z27, you know, that kind of thing. But like, we wanted to package it up, you know, as one whole thing like that. And that's what we were able to do. And then just like one cool little touch. This is more of an inside thing for us, but it says Goulet Pens Lamy on the barcode. And it's just like, that's so cool. That's so cool. So we're like deeply honored to be a part of it. If you already have a Vista and you're like, whatever, who cares? It's fine. Like we're not trying to <laughs> sell it. We're not trying to make it be like, this is such a revolutionary thing. It's going to change the pen world. But like to us, to be able to collaborate like this with Lamy, you know, I've toured their factory in Germany. You know, we've had a longstanding relationship with them. Deeply respect what they've done in the pen world. So many of you have Lamy pens, so you know. They're really just such an iconic brand in the pen world. For us literally to have our name on anything with them is an incredible honor. But then to be able to like tweak something and and make it just like got to have that little bit of like mm, a little bit extra there is is really cool for us. So we got we got on our website and we, we also have an extra fine fine medium and broad. We did in all of those. Unfortunately, they we asked about doing a black um, stub nib like a black 1.1, we were like, that would be amazing. Could we please do that? It wasn't practical. So that's fine. If you want to put a stub nib on it, you got to get it separately and then it's going to be silver. It's, that's how it's always been. And we, we couldn't couldn't win that one either, but um, we did at least make every black nib that is available uh, an option on this pen. So you can check those out. We have it for, oh, what is the price that we settled on? It's right around $35. We've been talking about the price. <laughs> I literally can't remember. It's like, yeah, $34.40 or something like that. 30, $34.90, <clears throat> somewhere around around $35. So, you know, it's basically a, a little bit less than if you were to buy a separate Vista and converter. We wanted to make it just a little just a little bit less expensive and, and package both together. But 
um, there you go. That's our that's our Vista Black. So we're excited about that. We did buy a pretty decent quantity of them, so it's not like, oh, they're going to sell out this week. You know, and they're not numbered or anything because Lummi doesn't really do that. So we'll have them. We'll have them for a while. It's cool. Check them out. They're... They write great. They're just like a regular Lamy pen. Um, but, you know, this is kind of a cool little thing. If you're a Lamy collector, you know, it's a it's another another pen to add to your collection. It'll be a, you know, it'll be cool to be like in the in the, the historical logbooks of Lamy exclusives just to have to be there. It's, it's a great honor. So anyway, I'll stop gushing. Cool pen. Check it out. All right, so now we are in the what's happening zone, Brian, mm. and things happened. Did they? So Did we they get now? to talk about all the things that happened in uh, more of our personal zone of life and our personal realms. Um, we, had so a, we had a long weekend with Memorial Day in there, so I would think that we, we have did. had more happening on the We did, front. and you know what I did? I, My hose woes have been... Hose. They are they are woes no more. Hose goes, nose grows, ro- ro- uh, rose grows. All of the above, all of the above have been rectified. And mm. you know what? Mm. One Brian Goulet was right when he said that a hose gasket was uh, potentially the source of my woes. So I bought a hose, but then I was also like, you know what? Let me pick up some gaskets too while I'm here. And uh, before I did anything with a hose, I popped on a gasket. It, I wasn't missing a gasket. It was just uh, a week? The gasket was there. Okay. It was just not substantial enough. So I actually stacked a new gasket on top of the oh. existing one. Okay. Got myself a nice seal, and uh, we're good to go. So now I get to take the hose back, uh, having not even opened it. So yeah. hooray for that. You don't, and, you, uh, don't, you don't want a loose seal. No. No, I don't want any seals. It's um, a Arrested Development reference there. Oh, I see, I see. Yes, you see. Uh, but it came in just enough time because we also picked up a slip and slide from Target uh, for my son. They um, still make those, huh? That's still well, going? They they did not have a brand name slip and slide. Uh, we had oh, a it? brand name slip and slide from last year. It lasted us two years, and then we used it again this year, and uh, the, little some, the little something was broken. So uh, we bought a Target, you know, brand sun vibes whatever they have the (laughs) they have their summer crap that they brand yeah um so we bought one of those and uh it's probably called like a slide and splash or something like that yeah something like that something like that and of course it did come broken it had this like globulous water-filled launch pad thing that was ripped from the get-go but it had a patch and i used that and it kind of worked but uh either way the hose did the job it connected to the slip and slide my son had a great time and of course, he was begging me the entire time to uh, partake in the slip and slide activities. Oh. Yes, my wife and I were just. My wife got her booster finally, um, so she was basically just a just a, a shell of a human being all weekend oh, as gosh. a result of that. Ar- Archer was fine; he got his at the same time, and he was fine. He's like, "All right, slip and slide, woo!" You know. <laughs> Meanwhile, Shannon's just like, "Ah." You're like, I, I um, feel old in this moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, he was fine, but. Um, yeah, I against my better judgment, I was like, you know, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna just launch my 38 year old body into the air onto a plastic mat in my backyard. It always seems and, like there's uh, more cushion on those things than there is because it's like there's zero. They just there's zero. They're cushion. sitting up on the grass, and you're like, yeah, this looks soft, and then you're like, oh wait. I'm, no, the grass I'm is your basically cushion. diving directly onto my yard. 
Yes, yes, <laughs> and hoping that you picked up all the pine cones and gumballs from the yard. So, oh gosh, um, and the dog poop as well, because that's a factor. Ooh, I don't have that um, element going on, but yeah, yeah no, I, we I go out there with the pooper scooper. I got a little clamp thing with a claw, like. Okay. Oh, interesting. And I get, and I get, and I get in there, and I grab it, and I, uh, I I've gotten pretty good at flinging and releasing, because um, <laughs> I have this, I have a, like a a back backyard. Where nothing grows, it's just basically pine needles oh, like and, the outback. and nothing. Outback yard. Yeah, so the, so there's the nice grass backyard, but mm. then there's like the no man's land, and uh, that's where that's where the poo gets flung. Um, I, would, I would imagine that's a very fertile part of the yard at this point because you're you're composting it regularly. <laughs> I mean, there's there, there's some weeds and some uh, tree suckers back there, but other mm. than that, no, it's okay. just a bunch of poo. But anyway, <laughs> um, I in my black jeans and my you know gray t-shirt. Just black jeans. Dove. It was like ninety-five I, degrees this weekend. I, what's what's wrong with you, Drew? I wasn't planning on being outside. I never plan on being outside. My jeans. I, my jeans are like packed away. They're like on the upper shelf, inaccessible. I'm not breaking nah, them back down. Until my, my, my holiday sweaters are packed away. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing else. Um. <laughs> but no, I only have jeans. You know that. I don't own shorts. I, just, I still don't. You've explained this to me so many times. I still just don't comprehend it. But anyway, uh, no. No judgment, um, no judgment. I just don't understand how you function as a human. So, <laughs> so uh, the first time I just kind of like landed in the middle of the slip and slide without a lot of motion. Oh, God. So I was just like, like, a be- like a belly flop equivalent. But then I'm like, I'm like, okay, hold on. No, no, no. There, were, there was one side with like weak sprayers and one side with like strong sprayers. I'm mm. like, I need to get, I need to launch on the, on the more lubricated side. So, um, I did it again, and uh, I was fine. Did it a couple more times, and you know, I got to the point where I was I was coasting and propelling myself past the pool at the edge, um, and uh, just there, there there was a, there was a lot 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 of momentum, just you know, considering my my, my mass, and I was <laughs> recollecting why it said you know ages, you know, four to twelve or something like that, and like you know why what 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 it's not about a older than 12 year old damaging this thing isn't in any way i think it's a safety concern like <laughs> but damaging themselves they don't want <laughs> they don't want you know people with a particular type of uh gravitational pull launching themselves onto the onto the earth and uh that's uh exactly what i did and um oh, wow. there were there were rashes involved but uh <laughs> overall archer was happy and um it was, it was, it was, uh, well, that's really, that's really what it's all about, right? Like if he, yeah, if he was enjoying himself, then it's worth the pain. Now this will, this will be until, you know, he's, he has kids of his own and he's complaining about them wanting to do slip and slide. And I say, I did it with you. And he's like, no, you didn't. If he doesn't remember that, that's when I'm going to be very upset. So we, time will tell, time will tell. Um, and, uh, that day, despite him, Having his booster shot and potentially, you know, feeling effects. No, he did not feel effects. There was slip and slide in the morning, and then that day he attended a birthday event at uh, the trampoline park um, over on Brook Road. Um, oh yeah. So uh, we went over there, and you know that nice uh, sock smell wafting mm. in the air as soon as you open the doors I mean, to that place. It's just 100% sweaty kids inside oh, that yeah. place. Oh, it was it was pungent. Man, that so, is like that's like two activities that 
will make you feel your age instantly back to back. Oh, I did not jump. I did not jump. That was not 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 that day. No, sir. <laughs> um, they did all the jumping, and he. But he just like he does not get tired ever. So he did that. And on our way, in true in true form, and I know you've probably been here before, Brian, and I know a lot of parents have, on our way to this kid's birthday party, we needed to go by Target to pick up a gift for this kid. Because oh, absolutely. Lord knows we didn't get it. You know, we there was no foresight. There was no planning. Um, and I didn't have my wife with me because she felt crappy. So she's at home. And uh, go to Target. All right, what does he like? I don't know, Nerf guns. He likes Fortnite. So we got him a Fortnite Nerf gun. There you go. And... Uh, <clears throat> We, in leaving, noticed uh, an aisle full of Nerf guns. Just two Nerf guns, Brian. There was a Triceratops Nerf gun and then this other, like, massive blaster thing that held, like, 12 shots in a drum clip, you know? And uh, they were half off. So one was twelve fifty, and one was nine ninety nine. Okay. Right? So previously, we're in the Nerf aisle, and I'm doing the thing like, Archer, we're not getting you anything. This is about your friend. This is not about oh. you. And well, then we just like chintzing out on the gift for the other kid. Be like, you can take a nine dollar Nerf. No, no, no. no. We That's already fine. got him the stuff. We already got him the stuff. <laughs> okay. But then I see these. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like Nerf guns are not cheap, mm. but. These are big honking guns for not a lot of money. And I was like, all right, Archer. Man, he's like the perfect age for that, too. If, That's you, like... if you want to use your money to get this one, you can. Just because it's a deal, I'll allow it. Normally, though, if we're going shopping for somebody else, you're not getting anything because it's not about you. Mm. But of course, I'm eating my words because I see a deal, right? <laughs> and so he gets the Triceratops gun. And I'm looking at that other, like, it looks kind of like a grenade launcher because it's got, like, the double <laughs> thing. It just goes, choo, choo. Um, and I'm like, well, you know, he has a bunch of Nerf guns and he always wants to have Nerf battles and he always gives me the crappy one that he doesn't want. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. 1350. Actually, I think it was 1250. I was like, I could, I could, this could be my equalizer. <laughs> so, uh, I get, picked that one. You got I it? I picked that one up for me. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, we got three Nerf guns, two for us, one for the kid. Nice. Um, and of course, I, I picked up a bag to put the gift in, forgot a card. So <laughs> right now, I don't know if the kid knows who this gift came from because there was no label on it. And if my oh, wife was there, yeah, she, okay. she would have had that together. But yeah. despite despite someone working at a pen company, I get in the car and there's nary a pen to be found. So I couldn't <laughs> even write his name on the bag. So I was just like, ah, tell, tell, him, tell him it's from you at some point later. I don't know. So extremely lazy gift giving adventure for me, but uh, yeah, and um, also true to form, we're in the. He had a blast at the trampoline park, but then he totally pulled a Drew when he got into little small room um, with all the kids just screaming around pizza and cake. You know, the one of those little side rooms. Oh, and they're so and sweaty because they've been jumping he, around he, for an hour. He he gets off of the table with all the other kids, comes and sits next to me where I'm like off on the side. And he just like sits on the thing and puts his head down, like covers his ears. Like, oh, gosh. he did not want to be there at all. I'm like, and I know that he's feeling anxious because I feel the same way in, in large, mm. hectic groups. I, I can't, I can't deal with that. And I haven't introduced him to the word anxiety or panic mm. because I, I, I it, it's hard to explain. And, you know, 
but uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to have to get there. He's because getting, to, he's he's getting to that age where, yeah, he could probably... Yeah, he definitely feels that way. When he gets in mm-hmm. a very high-stimulus environment, um, he shuts down. And that that's me. That's 100% me. Um, Which is so, so funny, because uh, people that don't know you as well would think that you're just, like, bouncing off the walls all the time. No, I mean, I, I small groups, absolutely. I, I love being a part of, like, four people um, and chatting over dinner where there's like two booths you know that that is my that is a great that is a great uh social activity for me any more than that though and no i will find a dark corner and hope that no one talks to me um or one person i don't know that's fine but visit me in my dark corner i don't want to go into the hub of activity that's Mm. horrifying but uh yeah so i like like the food table at a party i just hang out by the food table yeah hi rachel just snack hard oh Yep, there's Rachel. She can't hear, she can't hear you. But. No, I just saw her back there. Yeah, I'm recording. <laughs> she was like, what, what, so, what are you calling for? I was like, no. It's fine. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was, that was exciting. And then um, finally, just to kind of round off the weekend, uh, not the weekend really, it was Friday. But uh, I don't know if you know about this, but the Obi-Wan Kenobi series premiered on Disney Plus, Brian. And uh I was pretty excited about that, That's so got Star, to watch that. Star Wars, right? It is Star Wars. Yes, good job. I'm just kidding. I know Obi Wan Kenobi. Oh, okay, all right. But I did not. Know, um, I did know, not know that there was a series about. Yes, Obi-Wan for for the first time in uh, quite quite a many years, you have Ewan McGregor revisiting the role of Obi Wan. Okay, all right. So, yeah, pretty exciting. I enjoyed it. I was very happy to watch that, and nice. um, I got to watch it while. Actually, I watched it Saturday because that was when Shannon and Archer went to get their shots. And mm. it was quiet. I just kind of zoned out, had my cup of coffee, just watched something in silence. That's your, your happy place. Oh, it absolutely was. I even I even did the carafe of coffee with a mug and a little container of half and half so I could just have my whole coffee Oh, my gosh. That's u- a lot of coffee. Unit. Well, I mean, there's <laughs> two episodes, Brian. It was a two-episode premiere. So, I mean... Can't just have uh, probably about one and a half cups per episode for sure. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it was a delightful weekend. How was yours? Mine was good. Um, we've been trying to visit with Rachel's parents since January. And oh, ev- right. every time that we've tried to get together, there's been illness and you name it. Every complication that you could dream up. So literally after like three or I think this was the fourth time that we planned getting together, we finally were actually able to get together. So her parents came down. They live about two hours north of us. So they came down. Traffic was awful because it was Memorial Day weekend, but they planned. They stayed actually through Tuesday morning. So they avoided at least the traffic going back. But coming down, it was pretty awful. Um, But it was fun. Like we got to hang out with them and we did all kinds of board games and stuff with the kids and played Uno and scattergories and telestrations and stuff like that. Um, lots of crafts. Ellie loves doing crafts and painting and stuff like that. So she got to, you know, paint with Rachel's mother and Rachel's dad, you know, doesn't like to just sit around. So he's always happy to come like help me cut trees down and do trail work and all that. And I'm like, heck yeah, let's go do it. Like I'll take I some I have help. a tree question, Brian. Oh, Okay. So I was watching uh, Instagram or TikTok video or something like that with somebody cutting some logs. Oh, boy. And they... They're cutting uh, it wrong, probably. But go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but before they did. I do not trust TikTok did. when it comes to like tools. No, no, it was like it was like a like it was like a factory thing. Oh, okay, like, okay, okay. Uh, one of those satisfying, you know, whatever. Gotcha. But anyway, they painted the side of the log with this whitish gray mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, and like I the, was like the end of the log. Right, and I mm-hmm. saw that at your domicile yep. just today as I was leaving. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Brian does that too. What mm-hmm. is that? And why does it exist? Um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's, you, can, you can buy special stuff called ingrain sealer, or you can just literally use latex paint. That's what I, I, have, I have like old paint from, you know, whatever previous residences, you know, that you like, why am I taking this with me? So it's, it's just like, regular paint? It's just paint. Yeah, just paint. Um, oh. But yeah, what happens is, um, you know, trees, especially if they still have the bark on it and stuff like that, um, when you cut them down, they will um, lose a lot of their moisture. There's like 80, 90% moisture content in a tree when you cut it down. There's a ton of water in a tree. So what happens is it dries out quicker through the end grain than it does, especially through bark. You know, so what happens when it dries quicker at the end and not as quick in the middle is it cracks and it splits. So you actually paint it so that it does not dry as quickly and you're less likely mm. to get cracking and splitting and stuff like that. Huh. Yeah. So me personally, the reason you saw logs at my house here, um, I had a tree that I had to take down. It was a, a black cherry tree. Um, and cherry is a really nice wood to turn. Um, a wood turner and I have a lathe and stuff like that. So I painted the ends so that I can, at my earliest convenience, throw them on the lathe and turn it without it splitting all the heck because... The place where you don't want to have a lot of splitting and cracking is when you have a giant 50-pound log of wood spinning at several hundred RPM inches from your face. So, ah, uh, yeah. No, yeah. I don't. I don't yeah. No, do not want. <laughs> so when you're, when you're doing wood turning, a lot of times you'll, you, you actually won't dry the wood first. You turn it what's called green. So you turn it while it's still fresh and wet and all that because it turns so much easier. The, you know, the stuff just peels off. The wood shavings just peel off. And then How about that? you get it closer to its final dimension and then it's going to warp and it's going to do crazy stuff as it dries, but it's going to dry so much faster when you shave away because you're cutting away, I don't know, 80, 90% of most of the wood when you're turning. Um, so you shave all that stuff away, you leave it kind of thicker than what you intend to ultimately get it to. Say you're making a bowl, right? So you'll make, you'll make the bowl and it'll be like an inch or inch and a half thick. You set that aside, let that dry. Uh, and then, you know, it'll take maybe a month as opposed to five years, you know? So when it's thinner like that, it takes way less time. And then you turn it again once it's dry and then you have your final piece that's all nice and dry and stuff like that. So a lot of people who do like a lot of wood turning, they literally will like take a month at the beginning of the season or whatever, the beginning of the year. And they'll literally just turn blanks into rough cut bowls. And then they'll set them all aside and let them dry for like months. And then they'll come back to them and then they'll turn everything into its final dimension. Those who are like hardcore wood turners, it's pretty common to do that. I'm not that hardcore about it. I'm a little more casual, but. But you still paint your end grain. I do paint the end grain because I don't want it to split all the heck and then you lose half the log because it's just, you know, going to be filled with cracks if you try to turn anything out of it. So there you go. There's right. your, there's I can't your wait to pl- I can't wait to point that out to somebody and mm-hmm. let, you know, show yeah. off all my wood knowledge. Yeah. And it's not just whole logs. I mean, you'll see that any lumber yard you go to, that's not like a Home Depot, you know, type place. Uh, but any lumber yard, you usually see the ends of boards, especially if you have like slabs, like thicker stuff. They're blue. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. Well, of course, I've seen that so many times. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it'll just be markings. They'll have specific markings depending on the type of wood and all that kind of stuff. But you know, most of the time, if, especially if it's 
anything where it's not like 100% dry. If it's something like, you know, if you're taking a whole tree and you're cutting into big slabs for like natural edge furniture, that kind of stuff, they'll, they'll cut them into slabs that are maybe two or three inches thick and they'll let them air dry for like three to five years. And then they'll, you know, maybe kiln dry it or whatever. So they let a lot of the moisture get out naturally because it costs money to run a kiln. So they'll cut it into slabs. They'll paint the ends so that it, you know, and they'll do what's called sticker and stack them. So they actually take, you know, maybe thin pieces of wood, about a half inch or so. And they'll, you know, they're called stickers. So you put those in between the woods. You can get airflow between every single board. And then they'll let them sit out for years, ideally under some kind of coverage. Um, and then that dries it out a pretty good amount, usually to about 30% or so. And then they throw it in a kiln maybe for a month or so. And then that gets it down to, you know, the eight to 10% moisture content that is considered more dry wood. depends on your region where you are. We're in a pretty wet area here in Virginia. So, but if you're in like Arizona or some desert place, you know, your moisture content might be like 3%, some crazy low. Why, how in the world is all of this in your brain? Why do you know the moisture content of Arizona? Well, I mean, no, podcasts. There's podcasts and <laughs> okay, videos. Never and mind, never mind. I, that's not an actual question. This already no, went no, a little no, bit too it's, far. It's, it's funny you bring this up because there's there's somebody called the Wood Whisperer. So they have a, they have been podcasting since 2007. Whoa! They've done like 500 episodes. Um, but the guy's name is Mark Spagnolo. He looks and sounds almost exactly like Brian Gray from Edison Pens. It's oh. it's like eerie. And Brian Gray is also a woodworker too, so it's really kind of funny. I I feel like I'm like channeling Brian Gray as I'm listening <laughs> to this other guy. Uh, but anyway, he used to live in Arizona, so he talks a lot about the Arizona climate. Uh, okay. Yeah. Wow, you actually had an answer for that. I do, yeah, legitimately. Okay. But I've listened to all of his episodes of, of wood. I mean, that was like that was my binge thing. Um, was listening to the Wood Whisperer podcast when the pandemic first hit. It was like, okay, just as I'm like, whatever, mowing the lawn, all these kind of things, I'm just going to listen to woodworking podcasts and I listen to all of them. Since 2007. 2007. That's a long time. Oh that was like, my yeah, literally God. like episode like 75 or something. They were like, yeah, there's this new thing called Twitter and we're going to be Twittering and all this kind of stuff. They, like tweeting wasn't even established as a term and oh all that. And I was like, it's like, wow, I remember, I remember those times. It's so funny. Wow. They were, you know, they talked about doing like Ustream videos like we used to do. And it was like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. That's a throwback. Justin.tv. That's right. That's right. You also have on here um, about trails. And yeah, I I was only there for like two seconds dropping off something. But I did drive by and I saw off on the side, like not only like a a cool like log bridge and then like an actual like really nice looking bridge. Yeah, I like, built that. That looks really rad, man. Thank that you. looks good. I've I've seen pictures, but this is the first time I ever ever saw it for real. I'm like, I want to walk back there. Yeah, I'm just gonna come over one day without telling you, and you know, you see my car, I'd be like, all right, Drew's just walking in the woods. That'd be cool. <laughs> There's a lot in there. Like I've been working on these trails now for over a year and a half, and originally it was just like, I guess I'll, I'll cut some trails. You know, it'd be kind of nice to walk through the woods, but you know, Rachel's parents love the trails her mother's a painter she like has taken pictures of the trails and painted you know pictures of our trails and stuff like that i'm like okay you know and it's good therapy for me like that's honestly mostly why i do it um is it's just very you know there's a lot of stresses running your own business and the family and covid and all these things so i'm like you know i mean literally i'll be like all stressed out at the end of the day just because of the weight of everything and i'll just like 
go out into the woods, just working with my hands and like all that stuff just melts away. So I've been doing, you know, quite a bit of that and it's been a nice little therapy for me. So, I mean, at this point now I have, I have cut well over half a mile of trails in my woods, probably maybe even closer to a mile. Wow. Um, And all of that, and all of that exists so that you don't have a mental breakdown. More or less, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So but you're like, out there I'll go looking all serene, I'll like, like ah, yeah. this is so beautiful. And you know what? If this didn't exist, Brian's brain would have melted. Yeah, you can look back there and be like, wow, Brian really had some stuff he needed to work out. <laughs> like, there's a lot of trails. Uh, but yeah, I mean, my father-in-law and I, we cut almost 700 feet of trails this weekend, like the, over the Memorial weekend. I mean, it's rough cut. It's not like super polished and stuff. And and a lot of it is like there's big trees and stuff like that. We're not cutting down all these big trees. We're like basically like cutting through the brush and scraping up the loam and all that kind of stuff. Like we're weaving. It's a very natural style of trail. I don't want you to think I'm like destroying the environment or anything like that. I'm really I'm really not doing that much to disturb the land because I'm pretty sensitive to that. But, you know, really making just like a an actual walking path that's not because there's a lot of briars and other junk in our woods. So just cutting all that stuff away so you can walk through nicely and yeah, the family really enjoys it. And it's a nice little, you know, I'll mountain bike and I'll run and all stuff like that on the trail. So it's just nice, especially in COVID times to have that option. Very, very fortunate for that. So, yeah, so done that lots of time outside. So just sweating like crazy. I wear pants and long sleeves as I do it because there's all kinds of creatures and stuff. I did put on the bee suit at one point because my father-in-law did get stung by something we don't know what. It was just one sting. So I was like, it's probably a freaking yellow jacket, but I didn't see it. You know, he wasn't even in sight of me when it happened, but he wasn't like. So you, went, so you were hunting. You were like on the prowl for yellow jackets. Well, we like stopped where he was working and didn't come back to it. And I was like, okay, next time I go, because it was like we had done like up to that point from both directions. And there's that one section near where he got stung where it was like, okay, <laughs> I need to be able to connect these trails. But like he just got stung here yesterday. So it's like. I'm going to throw on the bee suit and I'm going to go work in there just because in case I disturb anything, like they can do whatever. And I won't be, I won't be worried about it. But Drew is like 95 degrees and I'm out there in this like full oh. bee suit. And it well, I was so, I mean, I literally sweat through my leather gloves. That's how sweaty I was. It was, I feel like Lamy 2000 thing. Like I talk about how much I sweat in every single pen cast, <laughs> but y'all, the feeling is so real. Like I can't even explain to you. Oh man. You know what? We should... We should make pencast bingo for people one day. Oh gosh, Lamy two thousand would be well, Lamy two thousand would be like the free square. That would be the free square in, in the, the center. Yeah. yeah, like you know, the Drew and Brian are going to say Brian sweating, Drew wearing pants. Um, what else would be on there? I don't know. I'll well, no, it'd stuff. be about like things we talk about during the pencast. Um, yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting. That would be interesting for sure. <laughs> Um, yeah. So anyway, that was really cool, um, and it was nice because I've I've been trying to cut like this one loop around my property. And, uh, I mean, literally I've been, it's been, you know, eight months or something I've been working and I finally completed the loop, at least in a rough cut form. So I now have a whole loop that I can run, uh, around the woods and which is pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, it's just really just amazingly peaceful in the woods. I don't know. I love, I love the woods. I love trees. It's very natural. Always have, always will. Um, yeah. And then my last thing kind of on a personal note is I got my TIG welder cause I kind of talked about that, got that set up and, uh, started welding some really crappy looking joints together. And, uh, that nice. was a lot of fun. TIG welding is boy, it's, it's a lot to it. It's like, 
I was trying to explain to my father-in-law because he'd never used one of these. So I was like, you know, I, I got the machine and like had like two days of practice. And then I was showing him what I was doing. And I was like, I don't know anything, you know, but I watched a ton of YouTube videos and stuff. And then I was setting up the machine and all that. But I'm able to fuse metal with it. But, you know, it's like MIG welding that I've been doing is like playing the recorder. And then TIG welding is like playing the piano. It's like there's so many more variables and it's you can do some amazing stuff with it. It's a lot more versatile, but it just takes a lot more practice and know-how and it's a lot more coordination and stuff. So I'm in the process of learning, but mad respect for welders. It's it's an art form for sure, you know, just high degree of craftsmanship and I'm learning that firsthand. So I don't know, it's really cool. I feel like, you know, there's a lot of dexterity involved that if you, you know, do any kind of woodworking or, you know, I mean, you know, Drew, cause you've worked with electronics and done soldering and stuff like that. It's not, you know, it's some of the same principles you're, you know, you have to, a lot of different elements. You have to have like some, some fine motor skills and especially like nib working, that type of stuff. Like it takes a lot of experience and practice and concentration, stuff like that. Um, yeah. Well with soldering and welding, you also are, you have to kind of predict where, these like you're not working with like nails and screws where if i hit it this way i know it's going to go straight you're 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 working with some with a like a like a galvan galvanization i don't know if i'm using the right word but you're kind of instantly liquefying and solidifying something very very quickly and you have to kind of predict where that thing is going to solidify yeah and so it's it's weird you also need to kind of have that insight to know where things are going to land and where it's going to fall and where it's going to move to and what it's going to stick to. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's all these different components to the equipment and the materials and there's numbering systems. That you're like, it looks like a bunch of gibberish. I don't know what any of this means. You know, it's like, it reminds me constantly. Anytime I get into some new thing like this, it reminds me of what it's like to be a newbie in the fountain pen world. And you're just like, what is this brand? Who are these? Like, what is this material? I don't even know. Is this good? You're like, I need somebody to break this down for me. It's also complicated. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I used to get more frustrated with new things like this because I was like, I hate just like feeling ignorant, you know? And it's like, I want to get, it's like, I know I would have the capability to do this better, but I'm just like, I'm held back by my own ignorance, you know? And that's part of what drives me to like dive into some of this stuff. But I don't know, maybe it's just, I've done so much of this stuff now where it's like part of the learning curve is a little less steep because I've got a basis of knowledge across various things that can apply into new skills. But, you know, some of it too is like, oh, like fountain pens and stuff. Like, yeah, it took me a couple of years to really know what I was doing. And it's going to be the same with welding. So it's like, okay, I've got time. It's okay that I'm kind of ignorant right now. And like, I go to like the welding supply store and I ask them about something and they're like, what are you talking about? And like, I don't know what I talk about. Like, I am dumb in, in this topic and I'm okay with that. Like, I'm comfortable enough in my own ignorance to ask somebody even if they like okay newbie i'm like yeah i am a newbie and that's okay like i'm gonna learn it and i'm gonna ask the question and not be worried about looking dumb to the welding guy that doesn't even care whether i know it or not anyway you know so like i'm just yeah, gonna I ask think, the question and then i'm gonna learn it you know that's a big part of the equation is just knowing how to learn and not being afraid of learning and, you know, kind of embracing that ignorance because you have the experience of knowing that that's how it always starts. Yeah. And that's what and I'm trying to, you know, that's what I'm trying to like, you instill, can get there. yeah, that's what I'm trying to instill in my kids too, because, you know, I think it's pretty natural to like, you want to do the things that you're naturally better at and you just pick up easier and, you yep. know, it's, of course that's more motivating. 
you know, but like Joseph, my son, like he's, he's doing keyboarding and he's like, you know, he's a really smart kid, but he's not the most coordinated in the world, you know, not unlike me, but you know, I, I keep reinforcing with him that it's like, there's certain things like Jake Weidman, hello, created that, you know, master penman. He's got an expression that I just latched onto the first time he said it. And I just keep that with the kids. Um, it's that practice makes progress. You know, so there's that old expression like practice makes perfect, but like perfect is a word that we really don't reinforce in our household because Rachel's got anxiety, especially around perfectionism. And, you know, it's a big thing. You know, our kids have some of those tendencies too. Sometimes I am anything but perfect. And that is just like, I have been, you know, trudging through life imperfectly every step of the way. Achieving perfection in any area has never even been an option for me. So I just grew up a very different perspective than Rachel. So like I continually reinforce with my kids. I'm just like, it's okay that you're not perfect at something. Like that's not the goal. That's not expected. It's not even that gratifying if you do it. It's like the goal is to see progress. So like it's okay if something doesn't come naturally to you. If it's something you want to do and you see value in it and you can see progress as it's happening then you're winning. You know, that is what it's all about. So we just like praise progress with the kids. Um, and Joseph is learning that right now with his keyboarding. Like he loves computers, loves coding, loves video games, all that stuff. He's having kind of a tough time with keyboarding and he didn't really want to do it so much, but we like really kind of let it sink in with him, you know, reinforcing that like, look, yeah, I know you don't love this. It doesn't come as naturally to you. And you know, it's okay that you're not like the best keyboarder in the class. But like, this is a skill that, especially if you want to do stuff with computers, you know, getting better in this area, you're going to see more opportunities and more payoffs by doing that than you would if you just kind of gave up. And he's kind of latched onto that. And, you know, I'm proud of him because he's really spending, you know, he's been doing extra lessons and spending more time trying to do that. Not because he feels like he has to be at some certain level because he's motivated by seeing some of that progress. So, oh, it's been a good opportunity, a good thing to reinforce with the kids and you know, I'm not, I was never, I never got like straight A's in school or anything like that, but like, I always wanted to try my best and I reinforce that with our kids. It's just like, I don't even care if y'all learn specific things in school. Like I want you all to learn how to solve problems and I want you to learn where to find information when you don't know something, because that is going to be so much more important Absolutely. than having a bunch of knowledge in your head. Because especially with their age, like think about it, Drew, they're going to like be able to just like you know, probably by that point, they'll have a chip in their brain and they'll just be able to think about something and download it from the internet, right? Or they'll have some phone or whatever voice activated device where they're going to be like, what was the, you know, when was, you know, Ramses II, the pharaoh in Egypt? And it's like, why do you need to have that memorized now? You can get that at your fingertips if you know yeah. where to get it. It's like, so I, I constantly reinforce with my kids that like where you're going to have the most opportunity in the future is knowing where and how to find information and how to solve problems that are complex and that aren't naturally, you know, solved by something like a computer or having something memorized, like being able to connect dots and go and, and seize opportunities that are unclear. And, and like, that's, that's going to be everything in the future. So anyway, long tangent there, but I don't know my kids. So, I mean, my kids are a little older than yours. Your minor 10 and 12, and they're just getting at this really interesting age. It's like very awkward physically. Like literally, I took Joseph to an orthodontist appointment this morning and we're having some of these conversations. But it's like I get these glimpses of them with just like striking maturity and adulthood. 
And then they immediately like turn it around into a fart joke. And I'm just like, you know, it's like a nice little mix, you know, not unlike you and I, but maybe yeah. like a stronger ratio of, of fart joke and body humor and video <laughs> game talk, you know, to, to maturity. You know, I would like to think that it's maybe they're a reverse image of us, but, you know, maybe we're all a little closer to the middle, but... <laughs> Oh, it's kind of cool. I'm just, I'm really enjoying the kids at this age. They're just, it's just, I don't know. My kids like, and I'm getting very off script here, but like my kids, they, they, I appreciate every age that they are, but I never script. Like I never, yeah, I know. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. What script <laughs> we script this. Oh boy. <laughs> we didn't hire a new writer. Um, no, but like, Every age that my kids have been, I never look back and go, oh, I wish they were that age again. I'm like, same. yeah, that was fine. That was great. There was a lot of good of that, but I don't like romanticize it. No, it keeps getting better. Yeah, like it just keeps getting better and richer and, and all that. And I'm like, I don't know, I'm just fascinated by it. So I'm hoping, yeah. I'm hoping that continues. I know we're entering into some more complex years ahead when we enter into teenagehood and stuff. Yeah, but, yeah. I feel um, the same way so far, though. Every yeah. year is better than the last. Yeah, it is cool. But, I mean, we talk about, like, anxiety and all that kind of stuff. We talk about that all the time. So, yeah, I don't, th- I don't we're, think, we're, you know, not to... We're getting there. Not to give you unsolicited advice, but I'm going to give you unsolicited <laughs> advice. No, I mean, like, we, we've we been open with that because our kids have some of those tendencies, you know, and Rachel's, like, very open about that, too. Um, you know, we had a miscarriage a number of years ago, and we were open with that about our kids. Mm-hmm. You know, we've found that it is, it is hard to talk about some of those things, but, you know, talking about it more just normalizes it, helps them identify it better. And we've seen a lot of good fruit come for that. So, you know, yeah. just encourage you in that route, like, especially like, you know, like Archer breaks my heart to hear about him, like at a party and stuff like that. Like, I feel the same way. Like, I don't want to be in a loud room with a bunch of sweaty kids. Like, that's a miserable oh, yeah. experience. But they like, weren't even trying to sing happy birthday. They were just screaming it. So you could scream the loudest, but yeah, they're all, amped. no, it's not, they're all amped it, up. It, you know, it's normal. Yeah, no, he'll, he'll. He's gonna he's gonna understand himself, and I yeah. and I tell him that that's that's a superpower. I I go over a lot of um, superpowers with him, like real world superpowers mm, yeah. that humans can have. Like not caring what other people think about you is a genuine superpower for sure. Um, being able to admit when you're wrong is an actual superpower. Like I have a whole list of things that I teach him that are 100 percent superpowers mm. and will make your life easier than everyone else's if you have these superpowers. And uh, mm. um, being able to, you know, know about your own mental health is a superpower. Yeah. 100%. Vulnerability is a superpower. Yeah. I, I, that, that, if I could write a kid's book, that's the kid's book I would write there about real-life real superpowers. There you go. Good stuff. Whew. Surprisingly deep. All right. Yeah, there we go. So we're, we're, we're well over two hours now. Oh, dang it. We were doing so good for a while there, Drew. <laughs> oh, well. Um, we do have a company updates and then we can wrap this thing up. All right. So just a couple of quick things to hit on here. Uh, I kind of mentioned it at the top of this and the reason why we're doing things remotely like this is that we are back in the high transmissibility at Goulet Pens. Um, we talked about it in the personal message this week that we emailed out to everybody. If you're not an email subscriber, I highly recommend. We have a lot of cool pens and nice pictures that we send you. And every now and then we give a personal message. Um, so yeah, basically it's not, I don't think it's really going to affect, you know, anybody's orders shipping out or that kind of stuff. Just in general, like our team's just, everybody's tired. Like everybody's got stuff going on, you know, real life aside from all the COVID stuff, like real life has not slowed down and everybody's just in general is stressed and tired and all that kind of stuff. So we're really, really trying to give our team space, trying to give everybody time. You know, we have, um, really good team, but 
things are a little slower for us right now and and just in, in a lot of e-commerce and retail and stuff in general you know there's a lot of uncertainty in the world in terms of whatever conflicts among various parts of the world and shipping and logistic issues and all kinds of uncertainty economically so you know people are stressed out about stuff in general so we're really trying to support everybody cover for each other and we got such a tight team i'm just really proud of everybody and we really try to cover for each other and that's largely worked very very well like we've had very minimal impact for how much we are actually disrupted from doing what we try to do every day at Kool-Aid Pens. Y'all would be amazed if you learn the details of just how much gets screwed up every single day just because of completely unforeseeable stuff. Um, you know, the fact that we're able to keep things going consistently is, is kind of remarkable. So um, I don't anticipate that this higher transmissibility thing is going to disrupt too much, but if it does, we'll let y'all know. Um, we'll put stuff up on the website or email it out or talk about it here or whatever. Um, but just in general, like, you know, eh, people are going through some stuff. Um, but everybody's in good spirits. We're covering things. We're excited about, you know, the, the plans that we have and the products that we're launching. So, um, don't anticipate anything too disrupted there other than remote pen casts. And hopefully I'll get my act together on the technical side so that it's a little smoother. Um, we also have the Raleigh pen show this weekend. Uh, I know Drew, Drew, you attended last year. It's a small show. We are not doing it. We're not selling at the show or whatever. You're literally just attending as an attendee. Um, but you know, we're in the business, so to speak. So a lot of vendors and stuff that are there and other people that are there, we, we know them. So it's always fun to get to see them. Um, so we were originally kind of planning like a little trip there with our photographers to get them to see like pen people in real life, um, had some conflicts and stuff. I'm not sure if I'm going to go even still We're recording this on Wednesday. I don't know. We're going to see, cause there's been a lot of illnesses and a lot of stuff. Rachel's, I don't know how, I don't know how she's going to be with me, be going and stuff like that too. And just with COVID stuff. I don't know. So we'll see. So I think Drew's going to plan to go either way. I might be there. I'm definitely going, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how many people listening to this would even plan to go. Don't change your life plans based on us going there or not. But if you happen to be there, say hi to Drew and maybe me. But we'll see. I don't know. The way things are going this week, I'm not optimistic, but yeah, uh, we'll see. Um, and then something else that I am kind of excited about. So, you know, it's kind of been a while. People talk about some of our videos and stuff. Drew does a great job. He helps cover a lot. My, t- my time is just split. And trying to cover for all the things, family, company, all that kind of stuff. It's tough for me to do like the old style videos that I used to do. I mean, it takes probably 10 hours to plan and record and do the B-roll and, and all that stuff, you know, per video. It's a lot of time on top of everything else. And it's just not as easy for me to make that time anymore. But I have done that with a video that's going to be coming out soon. It was supposed to be out today, but I missed my deadline, so... Probably next week, we'll see. Um, but it's a Sailor Nib video. And this is like a video that I plan to make basically ever since we launched the brand. I mean, literally, it was like part two of the video that we did that I just never actually completed. So I literally just like break down the sail- all the standard Sailor Nibs, not all the crazy stuff that they have, but the standard Sailor Nibs, they have seven different nib sizes, three different, you know, the 14K, the 21K, the two different sizes of the 21K, all that, I break all that down. And show you like some pretty detailed writing. We figured out a way to like get some closer up like macro shots of the actual writing. You can see the ink like pooling and stuff. It's really cool. So I'm pretty excited about that one. We're gonna be coming out with them probably one next week or so. It was a lot of time, but um, I want to give you a little bit of a heads up because I would love some feedback when the video comes out uh, because I could foresee doing some other videos with things like you know Pilot and Pelican and other ones where there's like a lot of different nibs. You know, we could even go cross brand if we wanted to do some comparisons and stuff. Um, just feels good. It's like everything that people have wanted, like longer rambling Brian videos, 
you know, very detailed writing shots, just like really focusing on how the pens write, super educational stuff. Like that's what this video is going to be. So I haven't put this much into one specific video in quite a while. So I'd love feedback when it does come out because, uh, you know, I could foresee doing like maybe one of these a month or something like that. Like not trying to overcommit myself, but doing, you know, maybe a little less of some of the light. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about, but maybe putting more into some of these bigger videos that come out less often um, if they really are of value. But it's always hard to tell because YouTube changes their algorithm all the time. We never know what video is going to get promoted and all that kind of stuff. But um, we're not going to stop doing the pencast. We'll keep that going. So that's it. Enough of the Brian rambling. All right. <laughs> all right. Now let's wrap this thing up. All right, folks. So I just want to thank you all for watching. Please leave us some feedback. Let us know in the comments how we're doing. Ask us some questions. Give us some ideas for tips or pens that you want us to see uh, spotlighted, spot, spot lit, spotlighted, spot lit, whatever. Um, check out GoulayPens.com for all your fountain pen, ink, paper, sealing wax, ink, syringe needs. Um, like and comment, YouTube, all that kind of stuff. And uh, you can email us at pencast at GoulayPens.com if you are an audio listener and you wanted to still reach out to us. And I have a fun fact. A truly random fun fact for this week. Um, So our feet are enormously complex parts of the human body. Each foot contains 26 bones, as well as 33 joints and 19 muscles. But many of these bones remain cartilage through a person's childhood, slowly ossifying into bone as the years goes on. According to the Ontario Society of Cryopodists, chiro, chiropodists, that's what it is, chiropodists, all of the bones in the foot don't completely harden until a person is about 21 years old. So mm. yeah, your foot is mostly like cartilage and stuff the whole childhood. And then, yeah, you don't really actually have all your foot bones until you're full-blown adult. Never knew that. I knew, the, I knew feet were complex and they had a lot of bones in them. Didn't know that about the bone, the hardening thing. No, I did not know that either. Isn't, huh. that, isn't that weird? Well, there you Very go. Cool. You can drink. You can drink alcohol and rest assured that your feet are fully developed at 21. Congratulations. There you go. <laughs> Have a foot party. A foot drinking party. What are we talking about? I don't know. This is the turkey hammock zone. We are in the we're in the hammock right now. Anyway, yep. thank you all so foot much party. for watching. It's great to see you. We'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for watching and. Right